Hi, everyone. Welcome to Office Hours. If you're watching on YouTube, you can find out more about what we do at officehours.global. Our first hour is general discussion about media production. And our second hour is usually something we want to spend a little bit more time on. And we're going to talk about our plan to um, stream to a couple different uh, locations. Uh, So we'll be talking about how we're approaching that and why we're doing that and uh, so on and so forth in the second hour. Answer your questions as well. Uh, If you have questions in Makana, go ahead and ask those questions. There's a lot of questions in there, so make sure to vote on those questions as well. So your vote really matters. Uh, It it lets us figure out what the order is, and uh, it is important these days to get that vote in. So if you're in Makana, go ahead and vote on those questions. If you're not in Makana, you can use askofficehours.global. That's askofficehours.global. You can use that 24-7. So anytime uh, you think of a question, you can use askofficehours.global to uh, ask that question, and we'll file them in. About half of our questions today are from that uh, from this little URL right here. Uh, so anyway, go ahead and throw those questions in either way. And let's go ahead and jump into the questions. Uh, what do we have, uh, CJ? First up, Douglas Carmichael, do you ever think we'll see a wholesale transition to IPv6 with IPv4 going away? Go ahead, Courtney. Well, I don't think IPv4 is really going to go away. Um, I don't think there's going to be a wholesale transition. We've had IPv6 for more than a decade now, I think. Uh, and the transition hasn't gone very fast because everyone switched to NAT for their home machines so that you only have one IP address per location. And that eased the pressure on the fact they were running out of uh, numbers <laughs> in IPv4. But uh, I don't think it'll go away because there's so many millions and millions and millions of IPv4 uh, internet of things out there that only use IPv4 because the chipsets only support it. And so I think uh, in order to support those, they're going to either have to be on a IPv4 supporting router to do the network address translation, or uh, they're going to stay, keep IPv4 around and the internet as well. I, I don't, I haven't seen almost anything. All my routers are connected IPv4 and not IPv6. So I haven't seen a wholesale transition. Yeah, I mean, there's obviously a, a strong reason to do it because we're running out. We are running out. And when you talk to, if you're trying to get your own static IPs from an ISP, they're like, "What do you need them for? Like, like, what? Why? Why do you need us to, to give you these?" So they, they're handing them out very jealously, like, like not wanting to hand them out because they don't have that many left. Um, but the problem, I really think that the problem is, is that while most people don't even know what the IPv4 numbers mean. The IPv6 just looks like garbledygook to a lot of people, and and I, and I and I literally think that's the that's part of their problem is, and I know that why they did it so they can have a lot more numbers and and, and not a lot of space, and so it it totally makes sense of why they did it, but I think that that with IPv4 I can look at it and understand what's going on just by, but I can just glance at it and understand, oh this is where the mask is, this is where this is, this is you know like this is all it all makes sense with IPv6 it's like I don't. I don't know. Like, you know, like, I don't know what that, I don't know what that is. It's just a number that I got get, given. And I think that that is actually a real problem. Like this gets into user interface and, you know, sometimes we go, well, the technology's better, but no one's taking it up. And usually when you have a superior technology that you are, um, that isn't making, taking traction, there's something related to the user interface or the value proposition to the user that, that you're missing. And I think in this case, it is understandability of the number as you look at it. And, you know, again, if you're really geeky, you probably can just look at it and understand what that is, but not, I don't, I don't, I can't. Uh, go ahead, Courtney. Well, I already said my piece, but um, <clears throat> yeah, I, I agree with you. It's uh, like I say, also, there's 
tons and tons of Internet of Things chips out there that only support IPv4 for Wi-Fi. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, they're going to stick around for a long time. Next question. Next question from Jay Robb in Sarasota, Florida. Zoom created an Apple TV version of its meetings app. Anyone on the panel tried it yet? Thoughts? Also, why? Uh, go ahead, Richard. Yeah, apologies, um, Jay. I haven't used it yet. Um, so if you'll indulge some speculation, um, I'm assuming why is just the, the, the natural kind of progression of different things like Zoom uh, uh, into the living room space. Um, so if you look at the popularity of the portal for a wee while, um, over, especially over the pandemic, um, that became a very popular device just to, to connect into Zoom and connect into other things from Facebook. And then the Apple TV having that kind of functionality really starts to, 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 to bring more options for just you know everyday kind of uh, families and uh, um, team meetings connecting. Um, even if you, as, a, as an organization, have an Apple TV plugged into a uh, computer just a, or, a, or a TV in, in, in your conference room, uh, it creates some interesting functionality. And uh, they probably wouldn't have done it if they didn't think there was some interesting ROI. Go ahead, CJ. Last night in the office hours, Guy actually had it up and he was responding to uh, somebody within Discord saying that, hey, there was an echo. So he actually went out to Walmart, bought an Apple TV, brought it home and plugged it in. And uh, he was talking to Fenwick and I and I was like, oh, wow, this is really cool. And then he was able to mess with the settings, uh, adjust noise suppression and he was able to, you know, on auto, we could hear a little bit of music, but then he cranked it to high and we didn't hear any background noise. And there was a tiny little bit of echo at first, but then he toggled echo cancellation on and off and it went away and it actually did a really good job. And then uh, I came in for about a half an hour and downloaded it onto an Apple TV that I had sitting here and it just hooks up with continuity camera. It, it looks like, it looks like they're getting ready to support other cameras besides continuity camera because there's a camera selector, but the only option is continuity camera. And so you're like, okay, well, what am I selecting? Well, I think so for now it's, yeah. like I can tell you as someone who's got a bunch of phones and a bunch of iPads, uh, when you know, for when I say show video with continuity camera now, I, I have like four or five options, like four or five camera options that are different cameras, different. But it's, it's weird. It makes you select the camera first. Like the very okay. first thing you do when you launch that Zoom app is you get this, you know, turn on continuity camera, just like with FaceTime. Right. And then once you're in, then it lets you go into the settings and there's a video. To, or there's a place to change what camera you have selected, but it's it's only continuity camera right now. But we'll say everything looked really good. It sounded good. Um, and the experience of after hours with in gallery view with eight or ten people on a big screen TV, that was really nice. Yeah, go ahead, Courtney. I guess they did this to, to try and spread out to the other platforms. They've been available as an app on uh, the Android TV, Android-powered TVs and Google-powered TVs. And I think Roku has had an app for a while for Zoom. So they're just broadening their coverage to cover the Apple TV area as well. So hopefully it works as well. And to get back to the why, I mean, like, there's there are people who, you know, don't like to use FaceTime or FaceTime isn't their default video app. And so... I can tell you from, you know, my family's mostly Apple people, and it's nice to be able to open up FaceTime on the TV and talk to grandparents. This just makes it so that when you're hanging out with your friends who don't want to have the group FaceTime with all the squares, they actually want a 16 by 9. It looks really nice. I wouldn't put this in a corporate environment, though. It is still too clunky to, uh, you know, 
if it's for something important, this is not what you want to use. Yeah, I think that um, uh, I was, I'm blown away that it took them this long. It took Apple this long to, to, to put something in that you could do a lot of these things because you know, we, had, we saw a USB, which is mostly used for servicing, but we saw a USB connection years ago, a decade ago, and we're like, oh, they're going to let us put a webcam into, into Apple TV, and they just never did. And so, um, so I do think that this is a pretty great solution for, you know, being at home and just wanting to throw people on the big screen. Uh, I do think it's probably, given it's Apple, it's more home-driven, but I will say that there are many, many, many small and medium-sized businesses that use Apple TVs in their every conference room. So by making this available, instead of getting Zoom rooms or whatever, if you're a smaller company and you just want to throw Zoom onto your, your TV, I mean, uh, when I, it's super common now when I get there is just say, oh, you can just airplay to the, t- to the TV, you know, and, and here's the code or whatever, and, and it's super easy to get in. So I think that there is a market there beyond just the home to do this. Go ahead, CJ. And when you have an Apple TV in your conference room, they don't even need to join the Wi-Fi. It's, it makes a little ad hoc network. It is so seamless and it is so nice. Yeah. And, okay, I'm going to buy a $1,000 phone and $149 or $169 Apple TV because you got to get the one with the Ethernet or else you're kidding yourself. Um, and, wait, that's $4,000 cheaper than the Polycom yeah. that was designed for this room and is probably going to do a better job. Yeah, so I think that it's, it is still um, it's a pretty good market for them. So we'll see how it goes. Uh, next question. Sam Collier from New Orleans, Louisiana. There is a pre-made Eleven Labs voice named Bill. Is this modeled on the dulcet tones of our own Bill Davis? If so, how did this come about? I think CJ can play us a little sample of this to see see what we think, whether it matches Bill or not. Bill's not on the panel right now, so we have to talk about it ex parte. All right, go ahead, CJ. All right, here we go. Hi, I'm Bill. You probably recognize my incredibly soothing professional voiceover voice from Office Hours, where you can hear me say gems like, next question, and if a woodchuck could chuck wood. (laughs) I trimmed it. I trimmed it. Okay, okay. Um, Yeah, so the, uh, I mean, what's interesting about it is, is that it it is, if it's Bill, I mean, we think it's Bill, that wasn't it. It's Bill and Alec Baldwin together. Exactly. But it, it, it would be amazing if it's not Bill, that there's a Bill that sounds so much like Bill. Um, so, yeah, go ahead, Courtney. Yeah, I didn't know if uh, – does Eleven Labs take external submissions? It's coming up as a default voice on that or is it – It is a default voice. We don't know. We, we don't know whether Bill reached out to them or didn't reach out to them or how that worked. I, I just have no idea whether that's Bill or not. But it is the irony of it being not Bill but being Bill, but sounding like Bill would be – Hi. It, you haven't it, seen a Courtney show up on there, have you? We should take over. <laughs> this should be the Eleven Labs takeover. We should like submit, <sighs> hey, you know, like, and, and so they could just, you could have all of the different uh, office hours because there's not an Alex. I don't think there's an Alex yet. There's an Adam. Adam mm-hmm. is the, by the way, in Eleven Labs, I think we established this on a show earlier this week. Adam is the, is the, the voice that you hear everywhere like oh, everywhere default narr- the people every youtube creator who has a broken accent <laughs> every every youtube in. creator every uh every tiktok that has that that it's that it's that uh a little known fact is blah list. blah 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 like it's it is the but but the funny thing is they didn't even go to the second voice like they literally adam it, it appears that they just went to 11 labs and that was like well that sounds good and now it's become the standard but that is the voice of the internet now is the Adam. <laughs> I mean, I hear it everywhere. I started, I started saving 
the videos with that voice, trying to figure out where does that voice come from? Like, what is that voice? And finally, um, I was, I, I already subscribed to 11 labs. And so I, so I jumped, I, I was like, I wonder if it's just in 11 labs. Didn't take very long. Went to the very first one and it was like, Oh, there it is. Well, AI, so, well, maybe you should get, could try Genesis, the new uh, AI from Google, and see if it can figure out who's this voice. Oh, who if Adam is? Yeah, I don't yeah, know. Yeah. I just know that Eleven Labs is based on you know. Yeah, but I'm I'm now if if Bill got in, I'm definitely I definitely want in. I want I want I want. Uh, I think that would be fun. So anyway, we'll we'll see we'll see we'll see. We'll have to wait next time Bill's on. We'll we'll try to bring that up and and see what, what's going on. Uh, next question. Eric Kurz in Hartford, Connecticut. Will Zoom support SRT in addition to RTMP for custom live streaming? Go ahead, Richard. Yeah, uh, unfortunately, I don't have the inside skinny uh, with with, uh, Zoom on the roadmap, specifically with uh, replacing RTMP. But we do know from Zoom ISO that uh, the SRT has just been added relatively recently um, uh, as one of their uh, main outputs. So therefore, we can probably allude that it's, it's not probably unknown to them uh, and uh, if it's a if it's seen as an easy way of uh, of, of you know everyday businesses and uh, and others not just a you know advanced production kind of way then i would see them probably introduce it at some stage in the future but uh, i can't say for definite but zoom iso possibly a good option as an alternative yeah absolutely zoom iso supporting srt and it is a obviously the, the team knows about srt and i think that part of it is is, is will uh, where will uh, a lot of the support go across the the social platform? So we already know that that YouTube is experimenting with SRT as an ingest point. So um, so that so we think that we're kind of I think it would uh, once YouTube uh, supports it more widely, I think that there's a higher there's more pressure to support SRT because it's a much better deli- it's a much bez- better mezzanine delivery than RTMP. You know, RTMP is pretty long in the tooth. And um, and so SRT is going to be a better solution, and, and YouTube's already experimenting with it. So we'll see when um, I think when YouTube makes it more widely available, I think that's when you would you, it would make sense for Zoom to do it. Right now, Zoom would do a bunch of engineering, and no one would use it because there's just no not many, not many people know where to go with it. So, but but I would um, um, but Zoom Zoom and Zoom ISO now does it right. You could just take your program out, I believe, in Zoom ISO and send it. Is that right, Richard? You could take. Well, you can probably because you can assign it as an output, so you can just assign an active speaker, right? Or, or you can, you know, depending if you if you want to take uh, vanilla Zoom, I'm sure there's other kind of options of uh, ways of doing it, but you know that yeah. that's one of the easiest ways. Yeah, absolutely. Next question, George Ha from Talon, Oregon. Our client booked a room without enough setup time, as their previous production company worked this way. We didn't have enough time and had a few issues. How do I convince the client that the lack of access to the room caused the problems? It's from the QR code. Uh, go ahead, Richard. I think this falls under this kind of question falls under the um, if you find a really really good way, tell the rest of us um, because everything else is just uh, this is what we've tried and sometimes it's worked and sometimes it hasn't. Um, most clients, it's it's about kind of trying to make the connection between well, more setup time equals a less stressed environment um, for our team, for your team and for the audience, a better product uh, at the end. Um, so again, less stress in the setup, less uh, means that we can find glitches. We have time to, to solve problems and we've trying to polish and make it better. So trying to make those two main connections 
Um, in this kind of day and age as well, we're usually less expected to kind of get into somewhere and rush and get it done. You know, it, it's not the you know it's not the 1970s where everyone has to be incredibly stressed to deliver something specifically on time. You know, understanding that a unstressful work environment isn't is practically a given now. So having more time just means that doesn't always look better but it does feel better to do you know because i come from theater a lot of the 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 adages of you know the audience will never know there was a problem on stage um it often comes comes to mind but um because you you get it done but the you know the feeling of how you get it done is massively different you know and, and that kind of feeling of the team of their team who are on the ground as well as then the the audience that often kind of comes through uh, so trying to make make that connection is, is really important um sometimes we've stipulated you know we have to get in at this time and that sometimes depends on the client um and different contracts can give you different leeway on on different ways of kind of stipulating your needs um but often you know, a slightly softer approach of you know I will, uh, uh, this will look better and feel better and make us all feel much more relaxed in, in doing this. It's not about it will cost no more money always. It's about this will be a better working environment that often kind of gets people over a certain hurdle. But it's also a very hard thing. Go ahead, CJ. You've got to be really careful here. Don't win the argument and lose the sale. Because if you try to convince them that, you know, it's with somebody else's fault, and then you're shifting blame and pointing fingers, it's it's really, it puts you in a tough spot. What you want to do is don't focus on the past, focus on the next job. If this is a client that's bringing you repeat business, don't try and litigate what went wrong. Just focus on how you're going to do it right next time. And then be a little firm with the time that you think you need to make sure that you're delivering a quality product. Fix it in pre, right? Set that expectation way ahead of time so that way we're not... Uh, in the situation trying to figure out what went wrong. Go, go ahead, uh, Courtney. Yeah, I like to not uh, put this on the client, although the client should book enough time for you to load in and get everything hooked up and be ready to go at a specific time. When I'm going into a venue that I've never been in before, I always like to know what I'm getting into. So a lot of times without charging the client or even sometimes letting the client know, and that can get you into trouble a few times, I will visit the venue and check out what they've got going, even if there's something else in there at the time. I won't be able to hook anything up and try it out, but I'll be able to see, you know, what the dimensions of the venue are, if I need to bring extra cables, what the interconnects are, if I have to connect to their sound system, you know, do they have a local mix panel? What is it? Are there inputs and outputs? Are there tie lines between the front of house and the stage? You know, those kind of questions that you don't want to be surprised with when you show up an hour before the event's supposed to start because they've only been able to get you into the event at that point. If you know all those key uh, answers, you can come prepared to handle any eventuality that may show up um, and without it uh, causing any stress on the client so much uh, or your relationship with the client. But you do have to kind of eat the cost of showing up. I don't charge them for a prep day or anything. Yeah, the um, I don't know how long to not enough time was. Um, so it's kind of hard for me to quantify what your what what your problem, what your challenge was there. Um, what I will say is that the most important, if someone doesn't give me enough time to set up or doesn't give me what I need, usually there's an email that comes out sometime before the show, a week before the show, two weeks before the show, a couple days before the show going, hey, we don't have the resources that we need. We don't have the time that we need. 
to do the to to guarantee this project, here are the issues that you may see. There may be some bad edits. The audio may have some glitches. This is these are the th- these are the risks that we run because we don't have the resources. Of course, we're going to do everything we can to make it work, but we we want to make sure that you know that by not having these things in place, there could be some un- unexpected uh, issues. We say that you saying it that these happen because of that after the fact is very hard. <laughs> like saying them beforehand, going, "Hey, these could be problems because we don't have enough time to get set up." Um, is kind of a what we call a CYA email. Um, now, for if it gets pushed too close to to it, I will turn the project down. I'll just send them a thing that you should cancel this project. I'm, we're not going to do it. <laughs> like you know, like you know, like we're not going to you know because I'm very attached. I will admit I'm very attached to success rates, and so kind of like a prosecutor won't take on a case that they can't see the bottom of. I won't take on a a, a project oftentimes if I can't see if I can't see how I'm going to get out of the other end. I usually I'll tell the client I don't want to do it. You know, like, and and, I, and and that usually is a wake-up call. Most, I've never had a client move on, to be honest. I've always had them, like, that's a straight conversation. Like, And and when there have been a handful of clients that said, well, if you can't do it, I'll find someone else. And I said, you should. And it just, I just got to watch a 737 just go end over, end over, end down the, I mean, like, it was just a disaster of a live stream. Um, every time I've told them it was too dangerous to do. Because I'm, pretty good at what I do. If I, t- if I can't do it, I know that there's not that many people out there that can. And, and so, um, and so they've wrecked it and then they come back and they're so much nicer after that. Um, you know, like everybody's much more flexible after they've taken on, taken someone else on. The other question that I would have there is why are you the new production company? Most companies don't move to a new production company if their other production company was doing well. So why did they choose you? Because the other person was having was having glitches too. <laughs> Maybe it could be connected to the fact that they're not giving you enough landing. A land, no one can land on that on that strip. You know, um, the other side of that is that I you know basically I build kits. F- you know, like I when someone doesn't give me enough load in time, a lot of times I tell them, well, this is the stuff that we can't do reliably. So we can do this, but we can't do all of these things if we don't have the time to do it. I also build kits that can be loaded in very quickly. So I have, like I have a kit that, um, or we built a kit for PixelCore that we built for other companies, for big Fortune 5 companies um, to use for their, to roll in. And it could be set up in 45 minutes with a three camera shoot, uh, free speak, um, you know, comms, uh, uh, up to six mics, you know, like all of that could be done um, in 45 minutes, you know, with, and they're all PTZ cameras and everything else. But that was because it was three rolling racks completely set up. You take the, 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 the ends of the racks became the tables. Everything was pre-built. Everything was marked. Everything was like there's snakes that go between them and you just go blunk, 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 blunk. And so it took us – it would take us a month to build the kit that would set up in 45 minutes. <laughs> so, so, and so, so you can build kits that way. You know, we had to load in you – know, there was a lot of challenges oftentimes to load in the White House and – in the Roosevelt room for the first one, I had 45 minutes to set up. I practiced that for a week. I marked everything. I, I took it down and put it together two or three times a day until I could just do it in my sleep, you know, because I knew that that was the time that I had to, to load in. So, you know, you can't, I wouldn't necessarily say that that's what you should do every single time, but how you build the kit, how you mark the kit, rehearsal with the kit, um, and especially if it's a new client, if you're having a new client that 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 is coming in and having you do it, we... Sometimes you have to look at their first job as not, you're not trying to make money on that first job. Everyone wants to make money on every job. The first job I did for Google, um, we 
they had had, I think, five or six companies fail. So they had had the problems that you had. They had glitches and things. And these were with like A-level actors and stuff like that. This is for Hangouts. And streaming to Hangouts was from Hangouts was not comp- – there was no Hangouts on air. There was a Hangout product that barely worked. There was YouTube Live that wasn't released yet. And they were having companies having trouble. So I got a $5,000 job. I then spent two weeks, two whole weeks with three of us figuring this out. <laughs> you know, like, like, how are we going to do this? And how are we going to roll in? And how are we going to do this? And, and we kept on testing it and we kept on failing. If we had ever gone, if we had gone and treated it like any other production, we would have failed. We definitely lost a lot of money on that first project and then did a lot of work because we didn't fail. So you have to, sometimes it takes you having to change all your molecules to fit into that, into that piece and prove that you can do it and, and figure out how to do it. Um, and then after that, you know, they, then you, you're off to the races and, and money starts coming in on the other end. It's, you, you can't always, you can't do that with every job that comes in, but definitely one that looks like it's a big company. There's a, there's a lot of opportunity. Sometimes you're going to have to invest time and effort into making, um, be, you know, figuring out how to fit into the box that they had. As Richard said, you know, he, he, you know, that sometimes it's you figuring out how to, you know, get into the right angle to, to slide into that piece. And if you, and if you're the one that can do that, no one else can, it's job security. Uh, next question. Vic Hernandez in Springfield, Missouri. Couldn't there be some type of audio watermark used to prevent Madam A from being triggered by the Amazon commercials? <laughs> Go ahead, Courtney. There is, in fact, the uh, Amazon system that processes the voice input from the A lady and the Google Home person uh, are loaded with the sound from all their national commercials so that it may light up because it'll uh, trigger the trigger word, but then as soon as it hears its commercial, it shuts down and doesn't answer. Uh, so I found that uh, when I'm uh, when I've got uh, the TV on and blaring, and and the uh, a lady commercial comes on, it'll light up, but it it never responds because they've preloaded it with the the uh, signature of that commercial, and so if it hears that commercial, it just doesn't respond. Same thing with happens with Google. Next question. From the QR code, Craig Gadoki from Toronto, Canada. The social stigma of green bubbles has come to a head. Chat app Beeper claims their app can send genuine iMessages from Android phones. How long before there's an update from Apple? Um, go ahead, Courtney. Never. <laughs> Apple will try and keep that distinction as long as they can until there's an uprising, I guess. But uh, this company that has set up this third-party application, I think they're running their own server that's uh running on the uh no this I, is a different one this is not oh, their this own is server. not the one no no this How is, is this one working they are identifying themselves as a at, they they're ident- identifying themselves as a um as an iphone inside the android okay. they as a device and so it is still technically a you know encrypted um piece i think cj has the outline here Good, i think it's always encrypted anyway but uh uh well, going through somebody else's server was a bad idea. Right, <laughs> like that was a suicidal yeah. idea. Don't 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 give away your iCloud credentials to anyone ever. Yeah, um, you know, put them in the safe and then lock the safe key in a safe deposit box because that that's your life. But it seems, judging on the Apple Insider article that I read, it seems that they're actually impersonate they some sixteen year old security expert. Which I I laughed at the title, but hey, he's smarter than I am. A sixteen year old security expert figured out how. Apple's authentication system works as far as their encryption goes and is able to 
spoof it to make it think that it's an iPhone. So the message is still end-to-end encrypted, they claim. Um, And Apple, because of the way that their system is architected, they can't tell uh, that it's not an iPhone that's sending the message. So it's pretty compelling. Um, I just, I don't know how they make money. Well, I do know how they make money. It's $2 a month. They're probably going to make a lot of money, actually. Uh, $2 a month after you try it for 30 days. It shows up just like a regular iMessage. Um, There's some functionality. I think some of the tapbacks were a little different. But I am still skeptical, even with this showing up on Apple Insider and claiming to be vetted, and we have this nice little graph, but... Well, don't you have to you have know, an Apple ID to use it then? No, no. It just is, uses a phone number. They, they've totally circumvented that number, system. Yeah. It's just bizarre. But yeah, I just I just don't trust it. I think it's a bad idea, I mean, to, to try it. Um, but but people people will. I, I The hard part that Apple has, the, there are some challenges to it. I, number one is I think that Apple will find a way to handle it. But the problem is really backwards compatibility. Apple could very easily just say... You know, we they could add something that checks for it, but the problem is, is that what about the person with the iPhone six that hasn't updated their operating system for, you know, forever? Um, are are you going to be able to identify that as an iPhone? That's the that's the what's protecting these guys right now is the fact that Apple has to d- deal with so many old devices. If they didn't have to deal with old devices, they'd be able to turn the, they'd be able to flip this in a heartbeat. Um, but they may have trouble fixing this. I'm not saying they won't. I'm just saying it'll be hard. Go ahead, Courtney. Can't they just enter the phone number into the database and use the IME number tied to that phone to determine whether it's an iPhone or not? Uh, I don't know if they can. I think if it's identifying itself as that, it's not. That's just not how the. That's not how it it's works. Just a separate database looking yeah, for them. It doesn't. Yeah, they could put that in if they don't do it already. Yeah, I think doing it across countries and you know, I don't think that they have that access. I think that that's a handshake that. It identifies that it's a phone, that it's an iPhone as it connects to that phone. It doesn't have a database from the phone company. Yeah, that phone comes company. from the carrier, really. Yeah. It, it, mm-hmm. it doesn't come from the carrier, though. It comes from the, the first handshake. When it, when it handshakes with that phone number, mm-hmm. it makes a decision about whether that phone number has been identified as an iPhone. So if it comes on and it identifies as an iPhone, it will be an iPhone to it. Um, it is a uh, – um, because I've had people who turn it, their iMessages on and off um, that – I, you know, so I saw them with blue bubbles and then suddenly they had green bubbles and I was like, oh, did you get a new phone? No, I turned off iMessages because I don't want Apple to blah, blah, blah. I was like, what are you talking about? You you chose a green bubble on purpose? <laughs> I was like, that's crazy. <laughs> anyway, so um, <laughs> so anyway, so I think that it, we'll see. I think I have a feeling that Apple will tighten this one up pretty quickly, though. I, I, I give it six months on the outside. Um, next question. Douglas Carmichael, would the panel know of a keyboard palm rest similar to this one for a 14 or 16 inch macbook pro go ahead there's a link uh i don't know and i looked at this and you know the whole point of a palm rest is something that's soft and these are very pretty uh they're wood uh and they're a great palm rest if you're using the touchpad, but they're not really a great palm rest if you're using the keyboard on a laptop because the keyboard is so far away from your from the palm rest that if you're using the keyboard, you're not resting that on your palm. So for a regular keyboard, I use uh, what is uh, one of these, hold on, uh, which is made out of old uh, uh, squishy worms for uh, lures. I think it's that... Uh, that squishy vinyl, and it's a nice soft. That's what you want your wrist resting on to prevent uh, carpal tunnel syndrome and uh, pinching. You don't want to pinch the nerves in the, the bottom of your wrists. And 
I think, you know, resting it on a hard piece of wood kind of defeats the purpose, you know. Looks nice, but, yeah. Go, CJ. When I got one of those Keychron keyboards that sits up a little bit higher than the low-profile one, uh, they were selling these with them, the little wooden ones. And I'll say it's, it just gets the angle of your wrist that you're not hovering it in the air. It just allows you to rest it and still comfortably type. Uh, I was skeptical of the wood, but I thought it was pretty, so I bought it. And uh, I actually like it a lot. So Keychron makes these, uh, and they might have one in your size because they make all different sizes of keyboard. If not, Fenwick can probably make you one because he's a pretty good And it'll wood, be a lot nicer. Yes. Uh, next question. Todd Rains from Allen, Texas. Does anyone know when the Blackmagic Design Micro Studio Camera 4K G2 is shipping? I am still waiting. Go ahead, Richard. Yeah, Todd, I'm, I'm right there with, waiting with you. Um, I contacted our supplier here in the UK um, because we have two ordered with them just to, uh, earlier when I saw the question, just to ask whether he knows an ETA. Um, usually Blackmagic's not going to necessarily tell people um, in my experience, but um, he is not aware of any ETA, but he did tell me I'll be the first to know. So once he tells me, I'll tell you. Next question. David Brady from New York with... The Magewell Director Mini, there's a blaring omission of RTMPS support. Are there underlying hardware requirements or licensing restrictions? Um, you know, there's some added code. I don't think that there's any licensing restriction to RTMPS, and I think that there is, and I don't think there's any hardware that requires it. I think it's a code, you know, it's a part of the handshake. Um, and I, I don't know why they wouldn't want to do that because I believe that, I think Facebook actually requires it. Um, if I'm correct. Um, so so I, I do think it's a, but I, I don't think it needs any kind of hardware or licensing for it. And it's a, it is an odd thing to leave out. I mean, it did take a long time. So when, when RTMPS started to roll out and especially since when Facebook started to push it, uh, it took a, it did for whatever reason, took a long time for people to incorporate RTMPS into their systems, Elemental and others. So it may be more of a lift than I, than I know of. Um, it wasn't something that was that happened overnight, but it, I also think that I'm wondering whether they feel like there's enough support. Sometimes companies just look at like how many people are calling us about this, and when there's not a lot of people calling them about it, they go, "I don't know if it's really worth it or not." It's just engineering resources, so they may be leaving it out because they just don't see. So definitely file a ticket with them to make sure that you're one of the people. And if you're watching this and you want to see RTMPS, um, you know, I think that part of the um, you know, part of the challenge is there's a lot less live streaming to uh, Facebook, which is one of the big was one of the big pushes for RTMPS um, than there than there was. I don't know how much is actually going on on Facebook now. Uh, when Facebook kind of changed their algorithms, they lost the kind of they kind of lost the advantage of using that platform for streaming. And so um, we'll talk about that in the next in the next hour. It's not that it's completely useless, but it's not it's not a particularly the the uptake isn't. It's, it's it's not really worth a lot of extra trouble. A lot of people skip it. Um, so uh, so like like we're going to do it as a researched um, process of like seeing how long people watch and seeing how many people watch and see and making sure we understand how to go to the platform. But we don't expect to have any impact on our show. <laughs> like you know, like it's like that we're streaming to Facebook, and I think that's the problem is is that the companies that are the streaming platforms that require RTMP if they don't require RTMPS, no one uses it. Like if you don't require it. No one bothers. 
Um, if you uh, require it, there's only a handful that actually do. And I think that's the, that's the challenge is that there's probably just not enough. I think, I think that this has less to do with licensing or hardware and more to do with just resource allocation, you know, and, and Majewell having a lot of irons in the fire and deciding not to spend any time on this one right now. And the only way you'll get people to spend time on it is uh, tickets. Next question. Joe Phillips from Murphy, North Carolina. CJ, like the look of that new X3, your thoughts so far, and what does the panel and Mickey think of it? All right, go ahead, uh, Courtney. Well, we'll see what CJ thinks of it. I I think that uh, unlike children who should be seen and not heard, microphones should be heard and not seen. So the look of it is less important to me uh, than the sound of it. And I think it sounds great. Um, it it owned the difference between the... Uh, twos and the threes i'm using the two x2 the tech zone stellar x2 and he's talking about the tech zone stellar x3 i'm assuming um which is what he's using as uh, as cj is using as his microphone it has a low frequency roll off and a 10 db pad in in it and the uh the two does not have that so it's a little bit different circuitry in it but it, i think it uses the same capsule so i think it sounds nice but I just wish it weren't sticking up in the shot like that. Go ahead, CJ. I don't have much to compare it to. Uh, when I was inspired to improve the way that I presented in meetings, thanks to all of you folk, uh, everybody was on the Stellar X2 train, and then when I looked on Amazon for a Stellar X2, the X3 was on sale for 50 bucks more, and I said, well, why not? And now every time we do a sound check, I feel like I'm a, a one-upsmanship contest, and that's not what this is. I just don't know any better. But I, but so far, I think it's great. It's just wonderful. I bought I bought the X2 like right before the X3. I'm so I I like we I bought it to test it and then just kept it. Um, and uh, the X I think the X3 sound, sounds really good. Uh, I'm a big fan of putting the mic in the in the um, in the shot because uh, physics. I'm a big physics person, and the closer. Uh, the closer you get to the mic, the less you hear anything else around it. Um, and so, uh, so I, I like to be um, a solid, you know, two inches away or two or three inches away from the mic. Uh, it does. In my room, um, if I get much further away, you start to hear the room. Um, so I think it depends on the room that you're in. Um, so I, I, but I try to, um, I have to admit that I socialize putting the mic in the frame on both mine and every meeting that I'm in. And the reason I have another one, I have a shotgun right here. So if I choose to, for whatever reason, not have a mic in the frame, I've got a, I've got a shotgun that sits right outside a frame here that I can loop up and, and turn it on. Um, I don't use that very often. And mostly because even though I might be able to sound okay, wow, does a lot of people do a lot of people sound horrible on their, on their, and, and I have to listen to that in meetings every day. And I am so like, and so I'd rather have them feel like they could put a mic in there and they could, they could talk into a mic um, because I, it, it's not for them. It's for me. <laughs> like it's really for me to not have to listen to them. Um, and so the, I, I hate reflections in, in audio and I, and I just, I just want people to get close to the mic so that I don't hear those reflections. Um, and so, um, and so I think that that's the, you know, I have less fan issues, less surround issues, less everything because my mic's closer to me. Go ahead, CJ. Sometimes it's, it's a matter of, uh, it's a little bit of politics in terms of whether or not I choose to have the mic in the shot. If it's not my meeting and it's a meeting where I'm, you know, a guest with a lot of other people and I'm the only one or one of two or three people that's remote and everyone else is in person, I don't want my mic to become a topic of a conversation. It costs a lot of money to have this meeting. 
And if I think it's going to be a distraction and I'm not even talking that much anyway, I'll turn it on its side and push it slightly out of frame. Um, but that's, you know, five out of 100 meetings. I'm usually the one that's running them, so it's fine. It usually is an opportunity for me to underline why great, great audio makes a difference in a meeting. So even if it comes up in the meeting, uh, it usually is an opportunity for me to use my, my favorite tool, which is shame and ridicule. Yeah, they couldn't <laughs> so figure something. out how to make the conference room microphone work. So the, uh, I got the laptop at the head of the desk, and then the person at the other end of the desk is a quiet talker. But then the person who has the laptop is going to talk under his breath to the guy yeah. next to him. And let me tell you, it's a great experience. Yeah, yeah so, I, so I, I use it, I use it as a, a little bit of a cudgel. Um, yeah, go ahead, uh, Courtney. And you can thank the uh, late night talk show, uh, television shows for normalizing having a microphone on the desk and in the shot because Johnny Carson always had that uh, uh, RCA microphone uh, on the desk. And even though it was never hot, uh, he had a since they went to lavaliers, uh, his lavalier was the primary source. And, and a lot of the late night shows, Tonight Show, carried on that tradition of having a mic on the desk for many years. And it became a prop. I, I so think it's acceptable. I actually think that a lot of it has to do with the YouTubers and, and a lot of podcasters and radio shows. As radio shows started to broadcast, um, what you see are SM7Bs everywhere. You know, like, and, and, yeah, and, agree, yeah. and so, so you see lots of, lots of arms because they're doing podcasts, they're doing radio shows. And the bottom line is, is that a mic, a radio mic two or three inches away from your, your mouth will sound better than most other things, you know? And so... And so they, you see these RE20s and these SM7Bs and you see every, everybody in the shot and you're like, well, that sounds really good. It sounds a lot better than the YouTube video I was making. And so I think that, that that helps socialize it as well. And I see it, you see it all over YouTube and all over radio live streams is they're you know, not going to give up. You know, because, and, and I don't think they, they, they start playing with where can I put the mic. They watch a TV show. Like if you watch, if, take, watch Pat a Sunday McAfee. morning. Yeah, well, you watch a... Watch a um, but I'm talking like like Rogan, the Rogan Experience, or the uh, or the the Howard Stern Show, the Howard know, Stern yeah. Show. Howard Here's how not to do it. U87 right up yeah. here, and Howard's right there. Yeah, no, he doesn't. I think he has a. Uh, I think it's a 102 or 103. Well, maybe it is. He, yeah, maybe it's a one, it's like a little. Yeah, he's got a little. Um, I think it's a one uh, uh, a Neumann um, uh, 103 TM 103. Um, and so the because uh, uh, I have the one. I think I have the 102. Two, I can't ever get the two of them. It's, it's complicated. One, I have the one that's the same form factor as Howard Stern. I just don't have the same because you know when you do this enough, you watch everybody's mic. You're like, oh, they're using this, blah 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 blah. So anyway, um, so I think that that, but I think that 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 socialization of radio shows has really made it people like, oh, it really does sound a lot better. And if you compare it to like just watch a Sunday morning roundtable like this week with George Stephanopoulos or Meet the Press or whatever. And just listen to, just close your eyes and listen to how bad that audio is. It is a, you don't notice it because you're watching video, but it is an unmitigated disaster from an audio perspective. <laughs> like it is just, there is so much reflection and so much noise and so much other stuff. And, and, um, and so if you actually are, if you actually care about the audio, you usually get rid of labs. Um, next question. From the QR code, it's Chester Sweeney in Las Vegas, Nevada was wondering because I have the current Apple Watch non-ultra and wanted to go pool swimming, wondered how does the screen work underwater or while wet or is it all bezel? Yeah, in the newest one, it, it will work, but you can't, it doesn't work underwater. You have to get it up off out of the water and uh, you actually have to hit it and it'll say, I'm going to now, you are in water. <laughs> and it does this little thing where it spits all the water out of the, out of the watch and then, it, and then you can use it. But it won't let you do anything until you, until, it let, until you let it spit water 
out. Um, it does this little, it vibrates. It goes, zzz, 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 and it just pushes all the water out. I have the Ultra, but the, did the same thing with the last one. Yeah, go ahead, Courtney. Doesn't it have the crown that you can use to roll through the menus? Oh, I've never tried it. I've never, I, maybe it does. I, I haven't tried to do anything other than turn my, my laps on. I think you can hit the crown and roll it if it's not okay, responding to uh, touch. I know that for me, for what I've tried to do, I've had to let it spew the water. Next question. Another QR code from J. Rob in Sarasota, Florida. IT departments warn about the dangers of AI attendees, Otter AI, etc. What's the fear? Recording, transcribing confidential meetings? This has always been possible. AI just makes it easier. Anyone seen or care about it? Should office hours have an AI panelist? Go ahead, Richard. Yeah, I think the the fear, um, because we've kind of got, we haven't got over this as a hump. Um, I tend not to bring things like Otter into into a meeting, but I also use it as a, uh, after the meeting to to, to transcribe a, um, uh, to get specific action points. I will often upload the audio recording into, into a thing, uh, in, into, a, into Otter or, or other similar apps. Um, there is a particular fear of one, just recording the meeting um, in, in first and also sending that meeting to an external source that you don't have control over um, or that you don't trust and certain levels of uh, organization will choose for themselves what what they what they're comfortable with um, i run a small charity in in northern ireland and therefore we have chosen that um, it benefits us more to send some meetings board meetings and others ones that are often you know, okay to have a, a public record off um, and out, out to a uh, out to a third party, so that we can then benefit from from the use cases. But it is sending your private internal information to a third party that you don't know one hundred percent what they're going to do with it and whether they're following the different rules uh, that are set down by the EU and other uh, other countries on 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 how to handle that data. Go ahead, Courtney. Yeah, Richard nailed it. It's all about security. They, uh, I've been in office meetings where they take your phones away. They make sure that you have no recording devices and they have rules in play that say you cannot record the meeting for any purpose. Even the recording secretary has to take shorthand uh, because they're not allowed to record the meetings uh, locally. And so that's even not sending it up to a server. And so um, those companies that don't like it even to be recorded locally are really paranoid about sending it off to be analyzed by an AI. Maybe when they get uh, AI to the point that it fits inside your recording device or your phone, it can transcribe and summarize without ever leaving the room. Maybe they'll be a little less paranoid of it, but I think you'd still have to record it in some fashion in order for it to analyze and summarize it. Yeah, the um, a lot of it has to do with legality. So as soon as you start recording these things, uh, at least in the United States, you're putting yourself, as soon as you, you record a, a meeting, uh, you know, you may want to do that on purpose, that you want to make sure that you have a, an accurate record. But usually that's an aggressive move to, you know, like, again, internal conversations, you know, for, for us, we, we've been using to summarize some of these meetings. And so we, we, we have turned that on. We don't do it with external clients because, again, it creates a legal liability for them because now it's recorded. Um, and the AI is going to, the AI may be accurate or may not be accurate, but it's going to be like, well, it recorded it and it, and it, up, it updated it. And that can become a legal record if there's an argument later about how things were, you know, preceded. It's why they usually have people have to write it down is because people can say, well, that's not how I recollected it. I know that that's what they wrote down, but that's not how I, that's not how I uh, remember saying that. And that uh, gives you some wiggle room in a courtroom. Um, it's, it's, so it's, it's very much like, you know, you're always, I'm always kind of amazed as someone who grew up in a, 
at a law firm of what people will put in emails. <laughs> you know, like so, so you know, like it's, um, you know, like you, you look back and forth at the Apple thing talking about my messages and every uh, and everything else, and you're like, why would you email that? You guys are in the same building, like you know, like or or in, in nearby buildings. That's a that's a meeting you have in person. Um, and so so that's the um, to get back to it. I think that sometimes you want to be able to. And it's, it's not just for nefarious reasons. Sometimes you just want to hash things out and people are brainstorming and you don't necessarily want to write all that down because you don't know if that's what you believe. You, you are trying to figure things out and it can become very stifling to worry about everything that you say being recorded or written down. And so, so that's, I think that, that that's why a lot of people want to just be able to hash things out. Um, I know that a lot of times, you know, we've talked about the fact that when you email someone, you're trying to get a record of it. And when you're, say, when you pick up the phone and call them, when someone calls me that I email a lot, I know that something needs to be hashed out. <laughs> you know, like, like, we need, like we're trying to hash something out and we don't necessarily need a record of it. So, so anyway, so I think that that's, uh, uh, I think that's probably the, the resistance there. Next question. Larry Avery from Sandy Moss, California. And the QR code says, from my earlier question, Alex convinced me not to round trip Premiere to Resolve and back. If I one way after much editing with Premiere, how much work will be left behind? In essence, what doesn't translate over well? Transitions, other effects? I go, CJ. Uh, I'm probably way over superstitious about this, but I almost treat a uh, when you're communicating between two two uh, programs like that as a uh, like an EDL. I want time code in and out with handles. I don't want anything else because I just don't, I have too many times, whether it was sizing or a transition that was funny, or you put on a color effect because you wanted to put a LUT in Premiere so that you could see it. And now it's interfering something in my color pipeline on the other end. I try to give as plain Jane as possible when I'm going from Premiere into Resolve, and then I can do the finishing in the program that's for finishing. I really, really just don't trust it to translate anything well. I've been burned once or twice. <laughs> yeah, and and I think that as you, uh, there's definitely times when people are embedded into Premiere and they they have reasons they want to use Premiere. If you're going to do a color, uh, this is the this is the weight that Resolve is adding to this whole system, which is that at this point I wouldn't have said this three versions ago of Resolve in version 15. At version 18.6 or wherever it's at, if you're working by yourself, if you're working with someone else that uses Premiere, I would follow exactly what CJ said. If I think I'm going to finish and resolve at this point, I would just start and resolve. Like I would, you know, I wouldn't, I I don't see a, a considerable difference in the editing speed between resolve and premiere. I do see a considerable change between resolve and final cut. Um, you know, there's like a, like a 5x speed difference between the two. But, but I will say that I don't understand why, if you're an individual, I don't understand why you would use premiere if you're going to finish it in Final Cut. If you're a big company and people have a Premiere Pipeline, then that makes sense, and I would do exactly what CJ said. Uh, next question. Douglas Carmichael says, on the John Mayer Acoustic Tour, the front of house engineer not only used a Gamble EX68 console, but also had no wireless because, quote, there's something rewarding to a mic or instrument on a cable into an analog desk. Is there a sonic advantage, or is this just talk? Uh, go ahead, uh, Courtney. Well, a lot of people think there's a sonic advantage because, you know, think of it when you're using a wireless mic, and these days almost all wireless mics are high-end wireless mics are all digital these days. So that means the A to D converter is in the wireless body pack or transmitter. Also, the uh, preamp for the microphone is in the transmitter. So you lose the benefit of those nice uh, analog preamps that may have even iron on the front end of them. 
Uh, you know, they might have transformer inputs, of which some people like for that smooth input. Uh, so if you like that analog sound of an analog console, you're not going to get that over a digital wireless mic. Uh, you know, you'll be going from uh, mic to preamp to, to digital A to D converter, D to A converter to get back to analog, then to go into the console and a single wire directly from the microphone to the console is a lot cleaner way to go. You don't have the process of uh, the conversion and the the quality of the preamps that are built into that little tiny radio pack. Next question. Lou Perez from Santan Valley, Arizona, just did a fresh install of Zoom 5.16.10 for Windows. Zoom crashed every 15 to 30 seconds. Any troubleshooting tips? 5.1... So it's the newest one. I was actually helping Lou with this a little bit last night on After Hours, trying to mm -hmm. troubleshoot it with him. And uh, he said that he had an older machine that was running uh, 5.15 uh, from, I think that mm -hmm. got released back in August or September, and that one was running fine. But for whatever reason, this one was crashing. And uh, we were trying to find an older installer package to put onto the machine to, to troubleshoot and see if that was it. But it's a pretty vanilla uh, setup and it's just, and I'm and I'm feel bad. I'm just not a Windows guy. I, d I didn't know what to say. Hey, go ahead, Courtney. Yeah, and make sure your Windows has reset and updated itself with the latest version that uh, is available for that. Because a lot of times I find when stuff goes awry, uh, Windows has downloaded a new version as in, and has installed some parts of it, but it can't install the rest of the parts of it until you reboot. And so it's waiting for a reboot to finish an install. So make sure you're not in that never-never land of between a download and partial install and a reboot, which is necessary to start a lot of the system drivers. So that could be causing crashing. Uh, so make sure uh, your Windows system is up to date, run Windows Update and apply and especially go down and look in the optional updates. Because a lot of times uh, Windows will change something in an update to Windows that will necessitate an update to the drivers, which is uh, supplied by third parties uh, for the hardware that you have. So make sure you go into optional updates and look at all the updates. Look if there are any updates for the hardware that you have in there and maybe apply those updates to see if that solves the crashing problem. Next question. Eric Hers from Hartford, Connecticut. Can Zoom Node push RTMP to a server on the same network? It should have no problem doing that. Um, you, you know, for when you put it into a custom uh, RTMP, you should be able to put in your uh, URL and your uh, stream key, and that should be all you need to do that. So, um, so that you should absolutely be able to um, send have Zoom send RTMP to a server on the same network. Next question from the QR Drop, Chester Sweeney in Las Vegas, Nevada. While back at an office hours convention show, I saw an aero drums kit where certain drum were straps with the Bluetooth attached. Is that drum kit on the market yet? Go ahead, Richard. So as uh, CJ said in his uh, reading, it's aero drums. And as uh, Dave T uh, mentioned, and it is on the market. Um, thank you, uh, Dave, uh, Dave T in the back end for, for posting that for us. And it is so cool. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you might look a little weird in the in in a uh, in a train station, you know, waiting for your train, uh, you know, doing air drums. But so what it does is this is actually I I looked at it a little bit uh, yesterday actually because this this question was um, 
was submitted in the uh, in the QR code uh, yesterday, and so I was able to kind of have some time to think about it. I even sent it to my daughter who plays drums uh, to take a look at it. And so what it's doing, to my understanding, is it's got a high-speed camera. Very, It looks like a very inexpensive high-speed camera that you put up. It's not your phone. I thought At first I thought it was your phone. But it's a high-speed camera, and what it's, it's essentially doing is motion capture. So the what the little tags that you put on your feet, and the um, these look very much like reflectors that we would use for motion capture. So it's a high-speed. My my guess is infrared camera that is making um, that is tracking those, and this would be a, actually a really simple tracking problem because there's no what we call occlusion. So I can see the you know this is just my, this is just. Um, uh, Motion, motion capture. And what you're doing is I have one camera. I have no occlusion. I'm not changing my direction. Um, and so as a result, it has a very accurate, I mean, it'll have a very accurate view of, of what you're doing with those sticks. And if you can remember mentally where those, where those drums are, uh, you're going to get a pretty good solution. It probably, it could theoretically, it won't feel the same way, but it theoretically would be on par with an electronic drum set, which is what my, my daughter uses actually when she practices at home. She uses a real one when she goes on on gigs. Um, anyway, so, uh, but I think that that's a, uh, it's pretty slick. I'm, I'm, I'm holding back. I'm trying not to, it's Christmas time, so she she might end up with one. We'll see what happens. Go ahead, Courtney. Hopefully, she's not watching the show. Yeah, but in the demo there, he's not wearing anything on his head. I would say they missed out in doing an augmented reality version so that you see the drum set <laughs> and you can actually play the imaginary yeah. drums in, that you Pro's see in front of yet. you. You know, yeah. The, this is a, this is going to be a great Vision Pro app. I I, I, w- I do agree that this is and with the Vision Pro with its cameras, you wouldn't even need to have. Uh, um, you wouldn't even need to have camera a, to you do just, just put yeah, the headset just on the and start playing and, and, and being able I imagine with the Vision Pro, you could also just play a keyboard in front of you, like look down and just see it and it would just be the table, but you would be able to play it. It's going to be interesting times. Meta coming. seems to think that that's a thing. It's on yeah. every darn football Sunday commercial. Yeah, absolutely. Interesting. Um, next question. Douglas Carmichael says, has anyone tried the personal voice feature in iOS 17 and macOS Sonoma? How accurate is it in comparison to 11 Labs? You know, so here's the funny thing about this is that I, when it said you have to sample 15 minutes, so the, the, this, new, this new thing that, uh, that iOS uh, 17 has, you can you sample 15 minutes and it's going to rebuild your voice and then you can use that for, you know, reading things out and so on and so forth. And I was like, you know, it's not enough. If you're going to do 15 minutes, we should be able to do two or three hours so that it gets super accurate and ask me all these different things. I was like, Siri, the woman who did Siri spent hours and hours and hours on this. We should be able to like really make a great version of our voice. So I said that and I still haven't done it because <laughs> I haven't. I go, oh, 15 minutes. I, I see the things I have to read. I'm like, oh, I'll get around to it. And the 11 Labs one is even longer, um, which, you know, I, I set I subscribed to set up for to do to do my voice. And um, anyway, so I think it's funny that uh, that it's um, that I haven't gotten around to it. And I, I don't know as many people who have. I do think this is going to become a, a, a more interesting thing as people start to use it more uh, readily because it means that it eventually you'll be able to have your texts read read to somebody. So someone will be listening to text coming in, you know, like you know, and and uh, you'll be able to listen to it, but it'll be in their voice. CJ. So we're going to get a little bit into, uh, let me tell you what grinds my gears conversation here. So it took a really long time to process, right? I have the proof is right here, September 29th. I recorded my personal voice. It took quite a while to process. I'm not sure how long. And I haven't played with it yet because I forgot that I recorded it. It took so long to process. (laughs) But what bothers me is that I, 
I have this USB-C port on my phone and I have this USB-C audio interface, but personal voice only works like this into the phone microphone. And I'm like, but I have this really nice microphone. They said, nope. If you tried to, at least at the point O release of iOS 17, you couldn't USB-C into this. Huh. Um, and it would just freeze and crash. So, oh, That's interesting. Interesting limitation. I, I think that that gets into like what the engineers expected you to use. Interesting. Um, we are going to be talking about multi-streaming here in just a second. Um, but uh, we, uh, we just a quick reminder that, of course, we have the volunteer meeting uh, tomorrow. Uh, I'm going to send out the link today just so you have it. Um, but it'll be 9 o'clock tomorrow after our show, uh, our Saturday morning show. So if you're interested in being a volunteer, this is the new volunteer meeting. So if you're interested in being a new volunteer, watch out for that post in Discord. Welcome back to the uh, second hour, and we're going to talk a little bit about multi-streaming and uh, streaming to multiple locations, how we're planning to do it, and why we're going to do it. And then, of course, we're going to answer your questions. This will be a pretty short presentation by itself, so uh, if you don't ask a lot of questions, you probably won't. This will probably be a short day. <laughs> so, so anyway, so so this is a, your chance to talk to us about multi-streaming, and I've been doing a lot of multi-streaming for um, a long time, um, you know, and there's a couple different reasons for why we do multi-streaming. So multi-streaming, when we're talking about this, is sending this out to many, many, many different input. Sometimes it's just two, two inputs, uh, two outputs or two um, platforms. Sometimes it's a lot. Now we've done this in, uh, we do this in broadcast a fair bit by sending things out to things like pool feeds. So for instance, on a very, very large event, um, one of the things that we do is we're dealing with a lot of partners and those partners may um, need a lot of different, you know, they, they want to have it. The, the, the problem you get into is you can tell everybody, this is how you do it. And then they, they can either show up or not. But a lot of times you are the one trying to get PR. You want to be the one, you want people to see you doing what you're doing. So we might be doing a big event and we want to make sure the press sees it. And we want to make sure that the online folks see it. We want to make sure that these other folks are seeing it. And so what we've done in the past is really build up a pipeline that allows us to do that both in traditional media as well as um, in, in uh, non-traditional media. And so the way that that has worked, so I can grab my pen here. Um, the way that that has worked is that, you know, we may have a, uh, um, you know, we have our source and then what we're going to do is we're going to send it up to satellite. And so that's going to be, when you send it up to satellite, um, you, for the United States, it'll be like one satellite for Asia. It'll be one satellite for Africa, one satellite for Europe. It's one satellite to cover most of the world or almost the entire world. You need to get to about six, five or six satellites and you can cover the whole world. And what you do is you make that free to air. Um, and that free to air means that you are, uh, that anybody can use it. And so then you, then it's just a matter of your PR team. When you put that out, telling any news organization that has a satellite uplink that they can pull it down. So that's, that is one aspect. I'm going kind of from big to small and how we're going to do it. Cause ours is much smaller than currently much smaller <laughs> than, than that. So we put it up on satellite. That means anybody can grab onto it. Now, one of the things you have to think about, and this is, this, this becomes a problem for every step of this process. What can people receive? So sometimes you were putting up a, do you want to put up HD? For a long time, we would put up SD. If you're putting it somewhere else in the world, you have to think about, are they PAL, CCAM, or, or um, uh, you know, regular 
uh, NTSC. And so you think about what are you supplying to those different locations? And a lot of times you're making those corrections before you put it up so that it's most, again, a lot of them have ways to translate that. But every time you ask for a translator, they're going to have, they're going to need to put it through something and maybe they have it, maybe they don't. And that affects how many people will see your product. So that goes out to, um, that can go out to satellite. Now, the other thing that we might do is we might send it out to what's called the switch. Um, and the switch is a, it's not very good, I'm there. But anyway, so the switch um, is a uh, very high quality fiber network. Um, and what happens is when you put it in a pool feed, all the broadcasters, all the networks can all just grab onto that for free. And it costs you about $500 to do the pool feed in whatever long distance, what we call ICOD, which is the um, the cost that, that it goes to the switch. For, so if I'm in LA and I'm going to the switch in uh, New York, there's a there's a, what's called an ICOD cost, and that's usually, um, I don't know what it is now. It used to be uh, $6 a minute. <laughs> to, to send it there um, to to get it over there, and that's for the low. That's for the lo, what we call low bandwidth, which is two hundred seventy megs a second. Um, and so, anyway, so that so that goes to the switch. But the switch, then we pay five hundred dollars, and that means that all of the networks can tie into this. There's another one called LTN, and LTN will do the same thing, and so they all can feed into that. A lot of the LTN's a cheaper version of the switch. Um, it is it's much higher latency, and it's not as reliable uh, or as high quality, but it is another way and a lot of broadcasters use it because it's a lot less expensive than the switch. So, um, and so this is, um, so LTN, they'll go, you know, they'll go out to LTN there. Um, and so we, we can put these out to those. Now we get into a situation where we have people who are, especially from new media, we, we, we dealt with a situation where they don't have any of these things. They don't even know what the switch and LTN are. They don't definitely don't have a satellite downlink. And this can be, and this can be relatively, I'm always surprised at how big the partners are that don't know how to do this. Um, so then what we would do is oftentimes send them an HLS. Um, so we make an HLS server, um, sometimes in the cloud, sometimes in hardware, we give them a, a pool and they can just subscribe to that and pull it out um, and, and they can pull it and then send it out. Some of them don't know how to do that either. Um, and so, so then the, the next step that we get into is we, we will ask them, um, what is your, like, so we would literally just now, the HLS is a good, easy, relatively easy way for them to do it. But then what we would do is do RTMP, you know, to them, RTMP uh, out or uh, Zixi or SRT. And what we're asking, we, we then talk to each one of these providers that might be, you know, a, a, you know, these larger providers, what do you need for us to send those, those to you? And then we would build this out. Now, in the old days, we would build this out in a hardware device. We don't, we would now do it. We now do it in um, uh, AWS is where you build, build these kind of things out now. So um, essentially the, you know, so there's a couple different ways to do that. So anyway, so we would send those out, but we would build lots of endpoints for all of these different ones. So for a large event, we might be sending to satellite, the switch, LTN, HLS as a su support service, and then working with larger broadcasters to, and when we say larger broadcasters, that can be a creator that has a 2 million followers. It's worth sending them the feed. <laughs> like, and, and in that case, they are oftentimes just giving us a, um, an RTM, they're, they're giving us, this is my stream name and my stream key to YouTube. And can you send out, uh, can you send me a stream? And we, and then they, they, they go live, but we're sending them the stream and we would just, you know, you just keep on adding instances to it. Now, this is what Corey 
uh, Ben Key was talking about his VBS um, that LiveX does it is designed to do this. <laughs> so this is what you know that that this is the the large version of the the kind of the industrial version of what I'm what I'm talking about. So he, if you want to look at that, look at um, that in the in in uh, in the future uh, or in the past. Uh, he did a whole hour on it. It was great. So you can you can build these out to be a lot of different different pieces there now. The thing to know is that if you're doing it on hardware, like so we've done it a lot on elemental appliances, I can do a lot of outputs from one, one, one piece of hardware. I just can't scale it. So when you have to scale it or change frame rate, it is, is a big CPU and GPU jump. When you do, if you just say, I'm going to take this and package it and send it out again, it's not very hard on the computer. So we've done things where we've had um, up to, I think, in one elemental. Now, it was an expensive elemental, I admit. But we had, um, I think, 16 uh, 16 outputs at one time, you know, out of that, out of that machine. And that's a machine at home. Now you have to also have the bandwidth to do 16 outputs because those were, that was a hundred and, and, and we did it 16 with all the, 16 with the whole ladder. <laughs> so, so we're not the whole ladder, but like a five point ladder. So, um, so anyway, so these are the things that you have to think about on, on how you're outputting these things out. The, um, the main thing that you have to do and the, one of the things you have to think about with multi-streaming is, you're going to send it somewhere to be redistributed. Nowadays, we don't really think about doing it with hard, the hardware on our device for the most part. Um, there are some reasons to do that. Um, you have more control. You have some security. You have, um, you know, I, I feel like uh, it's oftentimes it, it seems to be a better solution, <laughs> you know, but it's a much more cumbersome solution to have hardware. So, but normally what you're doing now is you're sending it to a location. So you're, you have your show and you're going to send that once to, and typically this is going to be AWS. Um, and so you're going to send this into AWS um, and then you're going to then start building these little outputs um, that are, that are sending these out. Um, and this can, this is in, you know, typically your uh, media live um, is going to, is going to send this out. So like, for instance, we can set this up. Um, there's a little bit of complexity that I'm probably not going to get into today about dealing with links and media live and connect and so on and so forth. But, but that you can, you can put these in here. Um, and now you're sending them out to each one of these, you know, it can be Facebook, it can be YouTube, it can be multiple YouTubes. Um, you know, it can be, uh, you know, there's a lot of other ones. There's the only ones that are complex to do this with are, uh, platforms that don't let you use RTMP. So, um, so there are some that, you know, Instagram has been notorious for not allowing this. Uh, TikTok being, I think TikTok does it to some degree, but it's not available to everyone. I know this will sound crazy, but the easiest way to stay inside, there's things called yellow duck and other things that allow us to figure that out, but they get stamped on. You know, like people will turn that, you know, like there's a, if it's, if you're doing an, an out of spec uh, stream to those, they can get, they can get turned off automatically. And Twitch will do it if you're doing, you know, Twitch, Twitch is another output. If it sees you doing things where you're pulling your chat away from Twitch, then they because that's really their that's their most valuable thing for to them, which I think is crazy because they're to me what they people put in the chats and Twitch is going on garbly gook. I'm just too old for that. I can't read the hieroglyphics, you know, that are there. I'm too young or too old or what am I like three thousand two years too young to understand what's going on in Twitch. Um, and so um, the but. If you see that pull, if you go out of their spec, then they oftentimes will attack that. So, so anyway, so the, that's how we, you know, from a, from a, you know, we're, we're taking our show and then sending it to AWS and then sending it out. Now you can, there are services that will do this. So, 
um, StreamYard will will actually make this available. Um, the uh, so StreamYard will you know you can go out to multiple things and it'll aggregate chat and so on and so forth. Um, but also uh, Restream will do this. Um, Restream will you can put out many different outputs and it really gives you access to a lot of things like LinkedIn Live and and other things there that that'll make that work. Also. Note that I'm talking about taking a show to do this, but remember that Zoom will do up to three. So you can have Zoom um, stream to up to three outputs um, using the, I believe it's the live stream cre- uh, live streaming beta app. So you download that beta app and you can send it out to different services, but you can also just put in custom RTMPs, three, up to three custom RTMPs, I believe, with Zoom. And so, um, so Zoom will, will do all of that. Um, we'll stream all of those things out. And of course, the um uh let's see and um yeah and so the uh and i guess the the and zooms also like Streamyard, but zooms i'm 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 reading text from andy while i'm talking so i'm just if i look distracted that's why i was you know it's uh, the the zooms multi-streaming tool um is um can tie all of the chat and moderation across all the platforms into one interface um and so zoom does all that and that's not a trivial problem like especially with youtube Token management in YouTube is, and I can't say the word on this on this show. So, um, so anyway, so it's it's just it's not a great experience, and so um, and I don't know why it's so bad, but it it is. Um, but Zoom has gone done the hard work for you there, so you can pull those comments in as well. Um, of course, you know we're doing a slightly different thing, which is that we're going to be streaming to multiple platforms from this show. Um, we'll use Makana to tie everybody back together. So our we're not looking at any of their chats. Um, we're just going to have tell everyone to come to our chat um, because it's just it's simpler <laughs> for us to manage. We have more control. So most people don't do that because they don't have Mukana. So so anyway, so the, um, um, but you can, uh, so there's a lot of different options about how you uh, push this out. And again, if you have questions about that, go ahead and throw it in there. We're going to start streaming this as early as next week. I'm, it's, it's literally all kind of set up. I just have to hand some uh, access over to the engineering team. And so that should be, um, should be managed over next week. So, but definitely by the end of the year, you'll see us starting to pop up. The first place we're going to pop up is in, uh, the other YouTube channels that I have. So Pixacore's channel, uh, my personal channel, both of which have actually more followers than, than office hours. And so they're going to, that we're going to see what that looks like when people are watching it across these other platforms. Um, and then, uh, then the next step you'll see is most likely we'll start to stream to Twitter, um, and then we'll start to stream to um, the next one after that will most likely be Facebook. Um, we'll experiment with things like Clubhouse. We'll experiment with things like Twitch. We don't expect, we do expect some nominal increases uh, from going to uh, the other YouTube channels. Um, we don't know what will happen with Twitter. The other ones are mostly, we're streaming to them so that we can understand um we just want to understand the pipeline for them. One of the problems that you have is that with every one of these, they have different settings. And so you you have to set up your encoding differently for every output. So they want a different number of keyframes. They want to, they want you to package it in a certain frame rate. They want to, most of them are 30 frames a second, but but they, they often have little uh, bits and bobs that are different between them. So as you set those up, um, every one of these is slightly different. Um, so how, you know, um, the GOP size, segment size, all those things can be different depending on how we're, it depends on whether it's RTMP, some of them are HLS, some of them are, you know, so there, so there's a lot of different ways for us to import it. I felt like as someone who talks about live, number one is we think we can get a couple more people to see, know that we're doing this. 
But the big reason for us to do it, and most people do it multi-stream so they can serve their audience where they are. You'll find that I oftentimes want to serve my audience, but I want to bring them back somewhere where they can all kind of interact with each other. Um, so I don't want to, the reason that I don't care as much about grabbing chats from multiple platforms and why I want to bring people back to our platform is that I want everyone that's watching to to be in the same conversation. I don't want them to, I don't want to create multiple verticals that they, you know, um, uh, that are, that they're there in. So, so the, and I will tell you that the, in case you're wondering, I don't know about all the platforms, but on YouTube, your chat, the chat velocity does not affect the algorithm. <laughs> so, so, so the, uh, so it doesn't, I don't, I don't, I don't get anything out of that as far as I'm concerned. Um, so, uh, so anyway, so the, um, uh, so we're going to be streaming it first to, you know, make sure that we consolidate other people because you have to remember my channel built up went from like a thousand subscribers during COVID to 8,000 subscribers because we were doing office hours in it. So there's a lot of people that may not, may not have made that conversion. And so we're making sure that they know about it. PixCore seems to be a pretty, it's got about, I don't know, 18,000 followers or whatever. And so it's not, none of these are huge channels, but they'll like, just make sure that they know about it if we're running it. Um, the other side of that is just to, for us to be, I realized that like I, someone asked me to stream to Facebook uh, a couple, uh, about two months ago and I couldn't remember it. Like, and you got to get, I've done thousands of Facebook live streams, very complicated ones, very high profile ones. And it, the interface had changed so much. I was like, oh, I don't remember what I do here. So it took me like a week to kind of do all the tests to figure out how to, how the new way works. And so part of why I want to be able to do these multiple streams is to get to a point where we just understand the pipelines for all of these. And so, and LinkedIn is another one that, that we'll, we'll stream to as well. Um, but, and LinkedIn is a great example of how the chat doesn't really, uh, is not super effective for what we, how we do things. And so it's easier for us to just put up a, and that's one of the, as an aside, if you're wondering why the QR code, why we keep on working on the QR code, it's because uh, the QR code allows me to not have to post anywhere. I just put that up and, I, and everything comes back to me. It doesn't matter what platform it goes out to. It doesn't even matter if I send it out to broadcast. Um, none of it matters because uh, it's, um, it, uh, it, it supersedes everything else um, because of that, because it's a video imprint. So, um, so that's kind of why we're, uh, why we're kind of going down that path. So that's, that's how we're approaching it. Um, and uh, we'll go ahead and open it up to questions. We've got a couple of questions stacking up here. Let's go to the first one. Oh, can't hear you, CJ. Eric Kurz from Hartford, Connecticut. Can I stream to multiple RTMP destinations from the Zoom cloud directly rather than pulling via Zoom ISO and pushing back via OBS? No redundancy is a concern, and pushing one stream to restream.io does not make it much better. Yeah, so up to three. Um, and again, this is in the, uh, uh, you can go to, if you look for the Zoom live streaming beta app, and this was uh, Andy, Andy saw your question earlier, <laughs> so I saw I have a cheat sheet here. Um, thanks, Andy. Um, anyway, so uh, um, if you go to the uh, li the Zoom live streaming beta app, you can download that. There's an article on how to do that, but you can set up up to three custom uh, RTMP outputs, um, you know, from there to stream to multiple platforms. So that that's what you want to kind of do some more research on. Uh, next question. Andy Kokendorfer from Vieira, Florida. What is your preferred live stream reflector service? I use Restream.io, but was wondering about the panel. I use AWS. And the reason I use AWS is because, um, or the reason we use AWS is because it's a lot more scalable and we have a lot more control. And, you know, I Restream has been problematic. You know, like it's it works for a lot of people. Uh, I had to, I had a, I worked on a, a pro, a, 
an, I worked on a couple hundred events with one with one client in 2020, and we used restream. They used restream for all of them, and the number of anomalies that I had to deal with, and especially when it came to captions and other things, but just general stability and and the big problem that I had with restream was the 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 response. Like we're not seeing it on the stream, but restream's not throwing us an error. So we didn't have a proof of, you know, we just didn't know if it was actually working or not, you know. And so so that's been the challenge. Um, so we've really, um, you know, focused on it. And we'll do, I'm not ready to, to walk through the, I, it mostly has to do with cleaning it, but I'm not ready to walk through the AWS uh, process today. But we'll do another update of this. So this is, hey, we're getting ready to do it. A month from now or so, we'll talk about, hey, we've been doing it for the now last two or three weeks or whatever, and here's what we're finding, and here's the numbers and everything else. So we'll kind of expose that all to you because we want to have, a, we're going to all learn together, um, you know, what the idiosyncrasies are uh, of this process. Now, next question. Peter Belbin from Houston, Texas. Has anyone tried using the Restreamer project to do their own multi-delivery of streams? Seems to be able to be deployed in the cloud or on a computer. If so, how'd it go? Uh, we haven't used it. Uh, I, um, yeah, I, I, I haven't, uh, uh, usually something, I, I will admit that I, I know I'm going to get a lot of friction for this, but if I see something being delivered on GitHub, it's usually not ready for me to deploy. Like, that's how I look at it. Like, I, oh, I'm not going to deploy that yet. <laughs> like, you know, it's like, you know, like it's, I'm waiting for it to be a packaged product. I, I kind of don't, there's kind of a, um, a, uh, limited the, the the stability the time that i'd have to expend on that there are things that i'm heavy into beta and all kinds of other stuff with companies but when it's kind of on github i feel like there's not enough resources behind it to to um support it as i you know as we work so i i tend not to i would probably wouldn't put that into a pipeline that i that i had uh next question mickey makachor from manila philippines what are the negative effects of transmitting to multiple destinations good courtney well, I can tell you as a receiver of streams, I can tell you the latency variations uh, drive me nuts because I'll be listening to, let's say, office hours uh, on IceCast, and then I'll have the TV will come on and, and uh, be tuned to YouTube, and there's about a 40-second delay, 30 to 40-second delay on YouTube, depending upon the day and what I'm using to decode it. Uh, and there's only a lot less latency on IceCast, so you end up with these two two versions of the same program coming in at different times. And so if you have different people listening in the same room to different sources, uh, they may not be in sync with each other and they may be as much as 30 seconds out of sync. Go CJ. I feel like there's a certain degree of that when you get the same source on two different internet devices. Um, like when I stream YouTube TV to two different rooms in the house, they're off. The downstairs sees the play first and they cheer and now, it, now I don't have the same... <laughs> And, and, and to, to tell you how hard this is, uh, so um, so EVS, and we talked about EVS in the past of doing it, but they also do distribution, cloud distribution, and so on and so forth. And so for them, it gets much more complicated. Um, so if they do something like FIFA, they I, I sat through a talk that they did about how they distributed FIFA out of Brazil. And, you know, it went to London and then it gets split up into, a, I think it was 190 some um, feeds. And those, all those feeds were slightly different, you know, and they're all, you know, and they're all going to other people's infrastructure. And then those structures are going out to broadcast. And I happened to be, when FIFA was going on, I was in Moscone Center. Um, it was like the championship was happening. I was in the Moscone, which is the big convention center here. And there's a whole crew that goes, um, you know, a football field crew long, you know, there's hundreds of people. 
And during the lunch break, they were all watching one of the one of the games, and you could hear it when the goal hit. You could hear it just echo in different places because there would be one people yelling and another people yelling, yelling, yelling. And it, and it was it was a, there was like a five second gap between them all of how they were all seeing it in slightly different places. And we see this on, you know, if you're watching YouTube TV, you're 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 behind the, a lot of folks that are you know that are chatting and so on and so forth. Um, I do believe that YouTube might be only 22 seconds behind uh, IceCast because YouTube is, that's this, that, the nominal, um, it's either 20 or 22 seconds. It used to be 42 a long time ago, but I haven't seen YouTube go over 22 seconds. It could be something on the other end too, too but, but that's that's been the experience that I've had. Um, we could turn that down. So we can turn that down to uh, as low as two and a half um, seconds, but it will be you know, lower quality. It's like 640 uh, signal in the lower latent, in what we call ultra low latency. I choose not to do that because I want people to have a, the best feed they could have and the most stable feed they could have because what you're doing is taking away the buffer um, to make that actually happen. Obviously, the audio oftentimes is grabbed by, we could probably fix the ice cast if we wanted to by having it just grab onto the YouTube stream. <laughs> you know, and, then it, and then it would be slightly behind. Uh, but right now we capture it from the actual show. And so it is It is a little bit, um, a little bit ahead. Um, to make that work, it, it'd be interesting to spool that to where it lines up. It'd be—I don't know if it's necessary or not. Um, the, you know, other negative effects that are related to this is that you are fragmenting your audience. So, so the when you send this the same foot the same stuff out, and this is a much bigger problem if you're taking every, if you're allowing the chats to occur, or you're or you're handling the chats from all these different audiences. Um, it's a bigger problem. So one of the things that we're, you know, obviously the that QR code that we put in is our way to manage what I consider the number one negative of multi-streaming. This little guy here, that is why we're, why we put it in is, you know, months ago. Now we expected to do this much faster. We expected to put this in, stabilize it, and then immediately go to a bunch of platforms. And then I, I lost my space. But now we have, we're going to stay with the space that we have. Thank you to John Wallace. Um, and uh, for a couple months, and we're going to allow us to launch this and test this. And so you'll see us kind of go down that path. But the um, but centralizing the conversation is um, a big for me a big piece of what the problem is is that you're allowing these these folks and now you have to pay attention to them all and and I you know a lot of times when a client comes to me like we're doing this mostly to make sure that we understand how to stream as a group this is mostly hey we're doing something every day let's figure this out um, and by doing it as a practice we can we can understand these different platforms more effectively if we're doing it every day. There was a lot of things that when we were streaming to YouTube every day um, for clients and using Hangouts every day, we could see patterns. We didn't have inside information. We could just see patterns in the platform. So we, I could tell you the Thursday's the worst day to stream and Tuesday's the best day to stream. I couldn't tell you why. I could just tell you that all of my anomalies were on Thursday. <laughs> like, so, so like, like, like uh, you know, I can just tell you that like if I'm doing, you know, hundred, you know, uh, maybe, well, it wasn't hundreds, but it was probably, we were doing anywhere from 20 to 30 major live streams a, a month for pixel core and i and you do that often enough and especially in the early days you could just see where the anomalies were and where the stability was i could also tell you that you know by doing this that certain platforms were better at pre-shows and certain platforms you know, so we, we found that that it was better to do a post show and what if if a, if a client wanted to use all the platforms we would say put your core and they didn't have a specific reason that they were going to use one platform or another. We were like, put your core content in YouTube because that's your largest average view time. Um, put your um, the uh, <laughs> this is how we structured it. 
um, put your post show in Facebook because the token problem, the token problem in YouTube is a real problem. So put your post show in Facebook because it was easier for us to grab the questions and manage those questions powerfully. Um, so that's a better place to put put your post show. And then your pre-show was a mixture of Twitter and Instagram. And the idea was is that those are kind of disposable content and it just helps grab those audiences and move them to watch the YouTube stream. Um, and better yet, take that YouTube stream and embed it into a, into a web page, which is what you're seeing us do with this show, so that, you, that people are watching that show um, and then, but, but interacting with, with what you're doing. And so, so and that, there's a whole bunch of advantages to that. You want to change, um, if you send everybody a URL and they're watching it there and you want to change the movie, like something failed with your YouTube um, thing, which hasn't happened, knock on wood, hasn't, we haven't seen a failure on a YouTube platform for a long time. Um, but but it, it can't ha- it, it, it happened in the past occasionally. Um, there was a uh, one day, maybe a couple years ago, that you want, you started it, it was fine, but you couldn't start a new show <laughs> like, you know, for a little while. And so, um, so anyway, that's the, and so those have been the, the, the issues. And so, but if you're doing it into a web page, you can, you can just flip the URL, you can flip the embed, and it just changes in the page. And then that was another backup for us. So those are the, you know, some of the, there are definitely negative effects of, of doing, and it's a lot more work. There's potential for anomalies and, you know, all kinds of other things. Our goal is to make it pretty, you know, rinse and repeat. We're going to start slowly. So the goal is not to, I'm not going to turn on eight platforms at one time. We're going to get the YouTube stuff working first, and then we'll, we'll move on to the next things. Go ahead, CJ. I think I answered my question while I was sitting here thinking about it. But uh, one of the things I noticed with latency at the start of the football game, because uh, I have the, ra- I pull the radio stream so I can listen to the local commentators instead of TV guys. It's always 20 seconds behind at the start of the game. And then midway through the game, it's seven seconds behind. And then by the end of the game, the radio's ahead, and I'm not delaying it anymore. And I don't. It's probably EVS. No, I don't know why that would be the case. It, but it slips. Yeah, for, throughout the broadcast, it slips, and all of a sudden, I go from the radio. Oh, we just lost your audio. Your audio just just phased away. I, I, that's a that's a new. Your video working, your audio suddenly not working. That's a new new problem. Like it just literally just disappeared. Is it? Oh. Oh, no, it's back. Okay. Yeah, Sorry. core audio crashed. Sorry. Oh, interesting. What are you using that would have core audio crash? Is that Sound desk. Oh, interesting. Okay. Well, there we go. Um, so uh, <laughs> it's good, good to know. Good, good note. Uh, anyway, yeah. So, so I think, but the negative effects, I think, are in, increased um, different latencies, increased uh, workload, and um, potentially less cohesive audience. Um, and so we're going to try to solve a couple of those. Um, you know, we can, for the YouTube stuff, you know, our goal, at first, we're just going to get it working. Our goal with the YouTube um, executions will be eventually that we use the YouTube API to set the, the event up and we use the, you know, some automation within AWS. So you push a button and it just goes, you know, I'm just going to set all these things up and turn them on and go, you know, and, and remember that we're also hoping to have YouTube be, you know, we may have a situation where, you know, we have a, two different, you know, one that's the HDR feed and the other one's the SDR feed or, you know, my goal with YouTube is to get to a point where we just deliver HDR and it just works, you know, because they have their, we match the LUTs that YouTube has so that it comes back at the same color that it went out in. <laughs> so we're working on that. Now, next question. From me in downtown Pennsylvania, what strategies are employed to bring audiences from disparate streams together so the conversation is cohesive or else is there value in keeping some audiences separate? 
there's some value to keeping the audience separate, but in general, we want to pull them together. So, of course, using things like Makana and this QR code allows us to start drawing people into the sing- a singular location. Um, Discord is another thing. So having people sign up for the email and go to Discord and so on and so forth, allow you to build a more cohesive audience over time. Doesn't have to necessarily be the audience live, but um, what happens is, is if you do these things over and over and over again, you're you're slowly pulling the audience that matters out of that system. So people who are just watching casually that don't join, don't ask questions, that don't, um, th- those don't become the core audience. It's, they're, they're valuable. You want them to watch and you want them to experience it, but they're the core audience will tend, the core of your audience will tend to, to culminate in asking those questions, in being part of the chat, in joining Discord. And those are the ones that are going to, they're kind of the engine that keeps everything uh, rolling. Um, so, so, but finding a way to get them all into one place is important. It, I believe it is a real mistake to allow um, your audiences to stay separate, or at least your core audience to keep on staying in, in different verticals. It, it, it makes it a much harder thing to grab onto. Um, next question. Tony Mobley from Noonan, Georgia. Conversations with Tony Mobley is streaming to YouTube and streamed to Facebook and LinkedIn with not a lot of engagement. Would it have made a difference if we're paying the additional cost for exposure? It will, um, but I will say that uh, the one place that I wouldn't do this is if I only if I don't if I have a very few number of viewers, I'd be careful of not spreading them out. You know, this is what I would refer to as spreading too little jam over too much bread. <laughs> so, so, so the uh, so if you've right, only got a handful of, of viewers, I wouldn't I wouldn't uh, add more bread to that to that jam. I would I would keep them all on one on one piece of bread. So anyway, so the um, uh, so I think that you know we're doing it because right now we have about uh, you know we're solidly in the two hundred and fifty to five hundred number you know range. So two hundred fifty people to five hundred watch it every day. You, you might see concurrence that are lower than that. I think we. Our concurrence are in anywhere from ninety to one hundred and fifty kind of range, kind of thing. But um, but the total number of viewers every morning is between two hundred and fifty and five hundred. And so I feel like we have enough to to expand that out a little bit and see where it's going. And I also don't think because we've been doing it for so long and so many of these, I don't think going to multiple YouTube channels is going to uh, change the number of viewers on the main channel. Um, and then as we as we and we're going to do it kind of slowly. Um, but we've taken a lot of time to kind of build that. I think that the the behaviors are going to stay very the same, and so it won't necessarily fragment out too much. Yeah, go ahead, Courtney. And not being a streamer, I'm ignorant of all these things, but I was wondering, uh, how do you get discovery amongst the millions and millions of podcasts and YouTube channels that are out there? If you're paying for, do they, they charge you an extra tier that will put you in the cycle for exposing you on the front page of, uh, oh, yeah. landing page on these oh, yeah. and it's <laughs> yeah, very we expensive what's the cost uh, you know something it depends like it, you know you can you can get you can get nominal more exposure for 50 bucks or 10 bucks or 100 dollars mm-hmm. i mean you can definitely spend that i've chosen to spend it on equipment and and things and people and you're not people but like you know our our infrastructure um but but you can spend as little as 100 dollars a you know or 10 dollars a week or 100 dollars a week or or whatever and you're going to it's going to tell you how many you're going to get for that. Now, that how what that math is, is different for every platform. So um, a lot of it has to do with like, for instance, Google's is a, is a little bit of a competitive platform for the, at least the AdWords, where they're actually, the reason everyone wants to add those little bits, you know, that little thing like, hey, can we fo- follow you for marketing? Part mm-hmm. of that is, is that the, the cost of their 
Google ad is related to the effectiveness of the ad. This is one of Google's like right. um, real secrets is that if you have an ineffective ad, they'll make you pay more because it's going nowhere. If you have an effective ad um, that that they can see they went to the they went all the way to purchase or they went through your site or whatever, and they're putting these little tracking pixels into your site so they can see that that actually the effectiveness of your ad means you you'll pay Google less because Google wants to make sure that it's a good experience for the user. And so, so that's the, and so for Facebook, it is how many, you know, more people will see it in their feed. That's why they don't, by the way, that's why they don't want to give you a timed feed because the time feed is hard, you know, if showing you every post that was there mm-hmm. because it's harder to put the ads in when they, when they do it as a behavioral thing, they're showing you X number of things and they're easy, it's much easier for them to insert the ads, you know, into that, into that process. And so they, but you'll see your this show, if I paid $100 a week or $100 a month, would show up in more people's Facebook feeds and they would know that it was there, you know? And so same thing with in YouTube, you can do either AdWords or you can also do display ads or you can do those little four seconds that happened before. And those are all purchases that they get you out there. Twitter is going to be, again, showing up more in someone's feed. And so you can definitely um, promote, you know, there's, there's a way to, you know, add those. I don't, I... Up until re- now, I mean, I'm still doing that, but I, I would prefer to organically, word of mouth, people hear about it, people see it pop up, you know, because I'm trying to build a core. There may be some point where we want to expand a little bit. We might try it a little bit. As an, and we might try it as an experiment on our end. Hey, we spend $100 a month on this to see what would happen, and this is what happened. You know, like, you know, like we saw, did we see an increase? Like, for instance, we did, we made a minor change to our um our thing in YouTube, and it, we saw an increase in the number of average view, uh, the concurrent viewers, and the number of views. And, and we didn't, we didn't have, we didn't get more viewers. We just turned off autoplay in Mukana, and that bumped, that changed our numbers by about thirty to forty people per, you know, you know, and and a lot more on the on the thing. So it made all my past numbers inaccurate. But the reason was because YouTube doesn't count autoplays as plays. <laughs> so so oh. so we weren't getting we just weren't getting the data for it. So now we get the data for it. Yeah, so someone ahead. has to click see it and then click on it, and that counts as a play as opposed yeah. to it just comes. Up. If it does, because otherwise you can you could set up you could set up a thousand pages and have it autoplay mm-hmm. and have uh, and then get you know numbers that don't exist. And you know you can still do that, but they make it harder by by not counting those. So the algorithm that serves up on YouTube when it serves up, you know, you watch this, so we thought you might be interested in this. It's not necessarily based on uh, similar content. It may be based on ad dollars that they're getting for those. You may not really. Um, I don't. I don't believe that that's the way it works. And we'd have to have Renee come in and talk about it a little bit. But I, my understanding of that is is that it's doing everything it can when it shows you something. It'll tell you it was promoted if it's promoted. There are some it'll pop up that say promoted, and you'll see some there. But it won't. It won't just put it into it. The algorithm is doing everything it can to serve you with something that you want to watch next. Like that is its only focus on that main, on that for you page or the whatever the main homepage. Um, it's just trying to keep you there. You know, like it's, it, you know, and, and, and it's not being now, once you get into it, it may have a display ad. It may have um, promoted ads that go down the side. Um, it may have a lot of the things on your homepage. I believe that now, if you advertise on those things and when more people watch it, 
you know, mm-hmm. then, and then, then it might end up on your homepage. So it may, you know, promoting it gets it on more people's homepages, but I don't think that you can advertise your way to the homepage. Now you can do a takeover, which is you'll see a big banner that goes across the top of live or the, across the top of YouTube. And that's super expensive. I don't know what the numbers are, but they're in the six, six and seven figure range. <laughs> mid six or seven figure range to get that kind of like you see some like one of those super money. bowl ads that's it costs three yeah, no sometimes those are partnerships seconds. and so on and so forth but but those are yeah those are pricey uh yeah go ahead cj i'm just tickled that the autoplay uh turning off was successful because now when i leave for a week and i leave my makana open on my home desktop uh it doesn't say that i watched everything because i just don't know where I'll, yeah no i didn't watch that or did i watch that wait a minute yeah, it was, it was something, it was an oversight on our part. I don't know why we did that because um, I knew better. Um, I just didn't, didn't, I, I, the problem was I wasn't going, I go to the light version a lot because it's in the show. So if I open it up, I just don't open the full version very often. And so, um, so that was why I wasn't noticing it. Uh, next question. Pedro G. Gonzalez III in Oklahoma City. My method's simpler. I just run multiple instances of OBS on the same machine. Granted, you'll need a good machine to be able to handle it all, but it works. What do you guys think of this simple syrup approach? We've definitely done it that way. I mean, we've definitely streamed to multiple things from the same software. The, there's a couple of challenges with it. I mean, one is is that, number one, is you need a really beefy machine. Think about how, how much you spend on that machine and then think about that sending out to multiple locations from AWS costs a dollar an hour, dollar fifty an hour, or something like that. How many times are you streaming and how, how, how expensive, how long will, how many AWS, um, uh, uh, how many, uh, AWS streams would you need to do to pay off that piece of hardware and, and before you bought another one. And so and also you're putting a lot of pressure on your on your machine. If your machine's going over, we would say over 60%. As a production person, if I see my CPU go over 60%, I'm trying to figure out how to alleviate that. If I get over 75%, I'm panicking. So you got to look at where you're at from your machine. You may have a powerful machine that can do all those things and that's fine. Um, especially if you're not rescaling, you definitely could probably do it. Um, but that would be the thing to, to do. You're, it is a, you also now need all that bandwidth at the location that you're in. So if you're doing eight streams and you're doing them at 10 meg streams, that's 80 megs a second up that you need. Whereas if you send it out to the cloud, you're sending one 10 meg stream out and then sending it out everywhere. You know? And so that's the, that's the big advantage of that. Go ahead, CJ. And Pedro, if the simple syrup approach is working for you, I think it sounds pretty sweet. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Next question. From Ronnie Hofso in Tromsø, Norway, Livestream.com is now migrating into Vimeo.com. But what about existing content at Livestream.com? Will that continue to work on the old URLs? I think it will. Knowing how Vimeo and Livestream work, I don't think they're going to downgrade your ability to get to those things. They're just converting over so that all the new stuff sits over at Vimeo.com. Vimeo is actually a really great platform that we may experiment with somewhere in the future as a um, because it is they'll build your own app so we could theoretically have the office hours app that you download and it's a mixture of all of our old shows as well as the live shows as well as all those other things and so they may give us some over the you know uh, ott solutions that um, that might be interesting so stay tuned for that Um, but uh, but i don't think i think you'll be able to still use that url next question Mickey Makachur in Manila, Philippines. Why should the community broadcast office hours to multiple destinations? And how does this affect office hours both as a show and a community? So um, the goal is to make sure that there's a couple goals um, to this. And it's it's a very, very good question. Number one is that there there are probably some communities that are in multiple locations that um, 
that we can, you know, people that just don't know we exist. You know, there's, I, I believe that the, the amount of goodwill I get back from people watching the show um, are, I believe that, you know, there's a lot more people that'd be interested in office hours if they knew that, knew it was here. You know, and we've done very little because I've been mostly working on, you know, we've been working on quality of the show and the quality of the community and everything else. And so we, we haven't made any attempt to grow quickly and we're still not going to make an attempt to grow quickly. Um, but we're just simply putting it out there to make sure that the other, the first ones in YouTube are the, making sure that other people that have followed me or followed us before know that we're there, you know, and so, and, and by doing it repeatedly over those, those platforms will, they'll know we're there. The um, same thing with, you know, there's potential for people that are kind of birds of a feather learning about it if we're streaming. Like, for instance, I haven't streamed this to LinkedIn. It'll probably be the last one I turn on. Uh, not because LinkedIn's not a great platform, because it's it's my most, so, other than office hours, which is the most important community that I feel like I'm part of, LinkedIn is the next, <laughs> is in the next two or three. Uh, you know, there's a couple other communities on Discord that I value a lot that I, um, and then there's a, uh, and then there's LinkedIn and LinkedIn is like 4,500 people that I am pretty connected to. So it's the last one because I want to make sure everything's working. But the potential of a lot of those folks being interested in what we're doing is very high. They're connected to me and they're in a similar business. So the chances of them being a lot more being interested, it's just a matter of us, us exposing that. The goal is to continue to bring them back to Makana, continue to bring them back to our Discord, the ones that are interested. You know, like we're out there in front of them and, and letting them know that we're there and then bringing them back to to our thing. We may decide somewhere in the future that it doesn't make any difference. <laughs> you know, like, and we're going to stop doing that. Um, but we do want to make sure that what we're doing, um, you know, as we have, you know, by increasing the number of people watching every day, um, it increases our market leverage and that increases the who shows up and, and you know, our viability and, you know, a lot of other things. And so there's a bunch of advantages to doing it. Um, but there are some risks and we're going to, that's why we're going to do it very slowly and gingerly to, and it's why we've taken so long to get to this point. Uh, next question. Todd Reynolds in North Adams, Massachusetts. What were your takeaways from YouTube's live con to which Office Hours was invited? There were several presentations on simul streaming, simul streaming and multi-streaming, including decreased latency. You know, I, I'm i very binary about... I, I didn't get to watch a lot of it. I, happen, I have to admit, I posted it for everyone to go see, and I'm going to try to go back and watch some of the records. If you registered, you were able to go back, you're able to go back and look at it. Um, I think that uh, some of the simul streaming that was there, if I'm, I kind of skipped through it, it probably wasn't the approach that I would take. Um, I guess that's, what, that's the way I would say that. Um, and uh, uh, as far as decreased latency, I just don't care. Like I don't. So if you're if you're oh, once you go over 500 milliseconds, it just doesn't mean anything to me. Like if I can't interact with you, I would rather increase the the latency and make sure that you're getting a stable feed. And what I'm going to do is keep turning the quality knob up. So I'd rather stay at 20 seconds of latency and get you to 4K HDR 5.1. Like have it be this incredible experience because if you're not in the same room, who cares? Like like you know like like why you know the the latency on this question was 15 minutes. <laughs> you know, so so the thing is, the latency. Like you're watching these things go in; they're getting voted on. They go up. Like I don't. It like if you have a good Q. The only reason you care about low latency is because you have a bad Q and A system. You know, like because the latency doesn't matter after that because you're not trying to enter. You're not the problem you get into is people asking, trying to answer questions as this flow is going past them and everything else. And that chaos. That's chaos. Like it's something that I got away from pretty quickly, and that's why Makana exists is to not do that. I go with CJ. Yeah, hopefully this isn't a thing, but if there's gambling in esports, I can see where latency might be a concern. No, there is. I just don't do that. And I don't, I'm, I, uh, 
I don't think that, yeah, gam- I'm not interested in gambling. Like, I'm just not a gambler. Yeah. <laughs> nope. so, so, I, you know, I, I like a good game of, of, of uh, you know, five-card draw. Like, that's, that's my favorite. That's, if you want to sit around and play some gamble, I'll play five-card draw with you all day. I can, I'll put up with Texas Hold'em, um, but I feel like it's just weird. Like, I'd rather just play five-card draw. Um, and, uh, but the, um, but that's, my, that's my extent of gambling. And I just think it's, otherwise, I think it's uh, poison. Yeah, go ahead, Doug. I, I, sorry. So anyway, so that's all. <laughs> so, so I'm not, I'm not interested in helping that because I think it's poison. It's poisoning a lot of people. I uh, go ahead, Courtney. Yeah, the thing that latency does mess me up sometimes because sometimes when I can't be on the panel, I'll watch on my, the full version of Makana, which has the YouTube feed in the window, and so, mm-hmm. um, and I'll want to comment on one of the questions or answer one of the questions in the chat, which you know obviously isn't on the air, but. A lot of times, by the time I hear the question on the Makana and I type it on the chat, you've already moved on to the next question. So it, that latency kind of uh, right. causes a problem in the flow of answers that, that people that are not on the panel are putting into the chat, you know, because so, sometimes it gets out of sync because the latency of YouTube. Yeah, I mean, one of the things, it's been a conscious thing. One of the things you may have noticed, or I don't know if people notice it or not, what we do, we talk about things a lot and then we don't, and it's kind of invisible to folks, is that um, that we, uh, uh, we've we slowed down the conversation. So you, you may notice that our, our, velo- our question velocity has slowed down by about almost 50%. So we're now answering, um, you know, 15 questions an hour instead of 20, 12 to 15 questions an hour instead of 25. Um, and you know, that was, we got some feedback from a lot of different people that were really senior in our group that they really wanted us to chat more and not be quite so bang, bang, bang. And so, um, you may find that that's less of a challenge because of that, but we'll see. Uh, next question. Craig McFarlane in Boston, Massachusetts. For those that don't have a Makana system, is there a chat consolidation management tool to read and respond to multiple chats? Yeah, you can do this with, um, StreamYard, um, Zoom, uh, Restream, all of those will aggregate it. The only difference there is that they're aggregating it and then I think you can respond. You're, you're still staying in these towers between them. So they're, they're not requiring people to consolidate themselves. So you'll keep on, you'll, everyone, all your audiences will stay where they are. Our goal is to take all those audiences and take the ones that are the most interested and pull them out. <laughs> back into our system so you know we're trying to we're doing a what i what i would call a you know high quality extraction process of the the best of the of each one of these you know and and allowing the people who are most active most interested in what we're doing we want them to be in discord with us we want them to be in makana with us um so we're so we're not we're not we're meeting them where they are but we're then trying to persuade them it's kind of a pied piper approach uh next question josh kaufman in pittsburgh pennsylvania what is the best way to customize each restream for the target destination? What is the low-hanging fruit? And what customizations require more extensive equipment and preparation? Um, the, uh, um, yeah, so the, I do this in AWS. So, um, you know, so that's the, you know, so I, I, this is to read, to do this, you know, we'll be doing it inside of AWS to do that. To me, it's the most straightforward way to do it. Restream will do it. Um, but I, but I find that the most, the best way to restream, restream to these is, is AWS gives me all the tools that I want. Um, restream, I know I'll hit a cap really quickly and, and same with StreamYard because I'm trying to do higher quality streams. And so because of that, I'll hit a bunch of things that they don't think their consumers need. So I'm not going <laughs> to do that. Um, yeah. So, uh, uh, yeah. Next question. 
Guy Cochran in Seattle, Washington. When would it make sense to stream to X? I'm going to give it a shot. I have a, you know, I have a producer's, uh, you know, um, uh, thing. So uh, I think it could make sense. You know, it's funny. I fell into a great conversation. There's a community that happens exactly at the same time as ours called, I think it's called the, uh, oh, I cannot, sorry. It's like creator coffee time or creator coffee um, chat. And um, they happen exactly the same time as our show. And I think we're going to do a cross-pollination where um, they come on to our show. We go on to their – we stream to their show <laughs> at the same time and kind of merge these two communities because it's a really, really great community. Um, and so uh, – so, but I fell into it. I just saw it show up. I was like, oh, I'll give that a shot. And before I knew it, I – you know, this was – we ended early one day. And instead of going about my business, I ended up on somebody else's show for the next half hour talking to them about creators. Um, so anyway, so the um, – uh, so I'm going to – uh, but we are going to first stream to YouTube's and then we'll try to stream to my, to my X account um, and see, you know, I think that the, the other thing that by streaming to lots of platforms, one of the things we're going to get to see is average view time. Our average view time in uh, YouTube is typically flows somewhere between 35 and 40 minutes or 33 and 40 minutes long, which in most worlds is an eternity. Like that is a very, very long average view time. Um, and so, uh, so we're, I, my guess is that Twitter will be in the 90-second to 120-second average view time. So um, if we get better than that, I'll be super excited. <laughs> That'll be considered great data. But but by streaming to lots of platforms, we're going to get to see what how average view time. I pay attention more to average view time. The reason our average view time is so high is because that's what I measure as the most important part of our show. How, like, number of viewers is fine. But how do I keep my average view time at a really high rate? And, and um, you, know, uh, you know, to me, above 22 minutes. And by the way, we used to be at 22 minutes. For whatever reason, we're much higher now than we, we have been in the past. So, um, but uh, so much that's the, you know, that's what I'm, uh, I pay attention to average view time because marketing and all kinds of other things can increase the number of, av- of, of viewers, can, it can increase the reach, all those things. But you can only keep average view time with the quality of the show. Uh, next question. Ronnie Hofsoy in Tromso, Norway. How do you monitor all destinations to make sure every feed is doing well? For larger events, I mean, we're gonna. I'm gonna open up a couple other computers so that they're there for large events that I do. We have a whole room that is all it is Android devices and iPhones and Apple TVs and uh, Roku and it has and we have screens across all of those and we have every literally every stream is up. You know, and we are looking at every stream on every platform we can define. We're trying to, we're listening to some of the headphones, some in, in, you know, open speakers, because if you sum something to the speakers, you may, if you're out of phase, the headphone will sound fine in the, in the speaker and the, um, and it'll still, it'll cancel itself out on the way through. Um, uh, go ahead, CJ. Yeah, if I recall correctly, uh, on one of the production show and tell episodes, you would cut to a, an image of, I think you were in Europe or something, and there were like, you had three or four people assigned to three different streams each. Yeah. And that yeah, was yeah. their only job was just watch output. We've definitely had ones where we're just, we just have a whole crew of people. For some of the largest events we've had, we have three, four, five, or something. I think the most we've had is eight people like looking at all the streams, just sitting there looking at a big wall of monitors and making sure that there's any glitches. We're, we're finding out what, what's going on. And we, we, you learn an enormous amount about the different platforms when you multi-stream. Because you're not just learning how that platform works, you're working how it how it works because you'll see, oh, it's breaking up, but the other ones aren't. Well, that means our, our ingest is not breaking up. It means it's that platform. And those kinds of things help us um, figure those things out. So we'll be continuing to work down that path. Next question. 
Douglas Carmichael, is there any stream relay platform that can manage per-platform transcoding, SDR, HDR, HD versus, HD versus Ultra HD, etc.? Uh, yeah, AWS. <laughs> Which is why we're going to do it. We're going to be doing the HDR to SDR is a little complicated. The SD, HD versus a, Ultra HD, 100%, you put those in. Um, but you can do pick different channels for every platform, pick those things, define it as different different outputs. The We may have to source the SDR and HDR as two separate sources for it. Um, that that I have to work on a little bit because it's it's applying the LUT in the cloud. I'm not 100% sure behind, but uh, sure of. But I but as far as all the other conversions that we need, whether it's stereo and uh, 5.1 and HD versus Ultra HD, those kinds of things, the number of uh, B frames versus P frames versus GOPs versus segments, all of those things are things that we can adjust in AWS. We send it one larger mezzanine stream and then subdivide it from there. Next question. Josh Kaufman from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. What is the best way to capture Zoom Production Studio program feed for multi-streaming if you prefer to avoid Zoom's native streaming limitations, such as burned-in captions, number of destinations, etc.? Will Zoom ISO audio sync be an issue? Um, so uh, I, you know, Andy answered this. <laughs> so sorry, I'm just, just going to read it for you. Uh, he said the, the 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 thesis of using Zoom Production Studio is that you would want to use Zoom native tools to produce. So my previous answer about Zoom streaming app would apply to the multi-streaming um, uh, production studio. If you need to somehow hybridize Zoom's native tools with external tools to bypass some limitation, then you become responsible for owning the sync and uh, relating behaviors. So if you use Zoom ISO to pull. Out Production Studio, be prepared to sync it in vMix and uh, since you made the choice to bypass the other native workflow. And and I will say that what we're looking at from a Zoom Production Studio is that if if we um, uh, if we if we bat, we're using it on Sundays, if we use it for a show, we are kind of expecting to bring everybody into Zoom. So we probably we may stream it, um, you know, to one destination, but it's a backup for what we do here. It's never going to be the same as what we're doing for our main show. Um, so it's the backup. We're trying to get to a point where it's a very valid backup, um, but it probably won't be the, it'll be more like the submarine that lost power and it's kind of like red lights instead of the white lights you know, kind of thing. And so, 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 you know, like it, it, that's, you know, we're not expecting it to be the, the white light version, just the red light version. Uh, that's probably not a good way to say it. Anyway, so, so anyway, so the, um, uh, but, but I think that we're not, uh, you know, we're not, trying to replace that. We probably wouldn't do multi-streaming if we backed into Production Studio. Um, we'd probably be just happy we had a stream. Um, uh, next question. Me again from Downingtown, Pennsylvania. What constraints exist across different services in terms of how many concurrent viewers different services support? How do you plan for overflow or rapidly scaling audiences? Um, you know, in Zoom, when we have people jumping into an event, that becomes a problem. For most of these services at this point, there aren't any uh, there aren't numbers that we would have to worry about. Um, you know, there's, you know, when you, everything can handle under about 2 million viewers pretty effectively. They may get a little, um, you know, because they scale up pretty well. I don't know about Twitter. Twitter might break up a little bit. Um, we saw some Twitter anomalies at 60,000, 80,000, you know, somewhere in that range. We started to see some some glitches in the system. And so we, it, it may not be able to scale. Twitter's infrastructure is not super stable. Um, so YouTube, uh, we know can go into the 10 million range or 8 million, 10 million. It's done that in the past. I don't, and it does so many streams that it doesn't matter. Um, so, and I know that, you know, YouTube, I mean, Facebook has done, you know, north of a million people. So most of these are, and those are big numbers. Like there's only a handful of companies that garner the, those kinds of views. 
Um, and and so um, I, I don't think that most of these platforms would buckle under any normal circumstance. Um, but it is also the advantage. Usually what happens is something happens with the ingest, but these these CDNs are pretty well known. A lot of them have peering. It works pretty well. Next question. Craig McFarlane from Boston, Massachusetts. How do you coach the talent, not to mention specific stream viewing locations, assuming it would confuse some viewers? Yeah, we try to keep the talent as invisible to it as possible. Like that's why we use, I mean, there's another version of Makana that actually scrapes questions from YouTube and Facebook and Twitter and will pull them all together and do the, do what do what Restream and Zoom does and everything else. And then so they just look at the question, the stuff that we're exposing to them. They don't look at the the, the raw platform ever. Like they just never see it. Like you're in a show and you know, on a teleprompter, you have things coming up and how it gets there is not your problem. And so that's kind of how we separate that out. They're not looking at YouTube ever because we're scraping those. We just don't like doing YouTube because of the token system is so i mean a big reason that we got into doing our own and really pushing people away was the token system on youtube was so bad um so or so restrictive um so but but that's how we we keep them away from the platform altogether they just think about it it's a show it's going to a bunch of places and we'll give you what you need to be effective uh next question guy cochran with a follow-up to mickey i think what are the positive effects of transmitting to multiple destinations uh, yeah, I think that increased exposure um, and increased knowledge of how these different, for us, increased exposure is part of it. And a big piece of it is also increased, um, uh, you know, we will know more about all these platforms individually because we're doing it to all of them. Um, and again, we're going to do it gingerly. If we're having trouble with something, we're going to stop. You know, if we don't have enough resources, we're going to stop. You know, there's a bunch of reasons that we'll kind of, this will be a kind of a very slow thing over the next two or three months. But when we eventually get to a point where we're streaming to six to eight platforms, we're going to know a lot about those platforms and we're going to come back and talk to you about them and answer questions. And we're going to say, well, Facebook's good at this and YouTube's good at this. And we'll know all the different settings and optimizations and what we can and can't do. And I think that's a really valuable lab given that we're doing this every day. Like it's just a, it, for us as a group, knowing how all these platforms work, whether it's Zoom's internal process to all these other ones, I think it's a really valuable knowledge base that we're not getting right now. Next question. Last question from Josh Kaufman. What is the best way to responsibly manage partners' stream keys? Um, for the most part, we don't. I mean, we, 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 uh, they'll send us those, those keys. Um, usually, we really reduce the number of people that have access to them. Um, you know, and a lot of times, we don't even manage their – they send us the key. They can always change the key um, to make that actually happen. And so those are, that's kind of how we manage those. But we try to – usually there's one person in our team that has access to those keys. What we definitely don't do is um, send them out to lots of people. <laughs> so, so that tends to be – when we're doing it for, you know, for uh, commercial production, we'll have a handful of trusted partners here um, that will uh, be able to do it. There you go. Well, that again, another show that I expected to last about ten minutes, and um, and it was great. And we had a we had a kind of a, a cozy, a cozy um, little uh, conversation here today, which was great. I want to thank Richard for jumping in, being part of the first hour. It really made a difference. I think he had some great input, and it was it's great to see Richard. We don't get to see Richard on the panel very often, um, so it was really fantastic to have him here. So I just want to reach out, um, thank, uh, mention Richard jumped in. I think partially because we were. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't have a lot of panelists, um, and uh, and so today, and, and this is the this is what happens. If you're interested in being a panelist, of course you can sign up, and and we'd love to have you. Um, the uh, we every once in a while have a kind of a small panel. This one went great. 
Um, you know, so it, it's proof that we can uh, we can do this panel in many, many different sizes. And so uh, so I think that we had uh, – we just want to thank the panelists. Of course, we can't do this without you. Um, uh, we can survive it on some days without you, but it's a lot more fun when there's a lot more panelists. So definitely jump on. So um, so thanks to the panelists. Thanks to the producers for all the great questions. Uh, it was a great two hours. Incredible questions for the second. I was, again, not sure how this was going to go. It happens often recently. Um, it went great. So really, really great questions. Um, I think we all learned a lot talking through this stuff. Um, so thank you for your great questions. And thanks to the incredible team that does this every single day. Um, seven days a week, um, there's a team making this happen. Um, and um, they're putting the, the show together, developing the show, managing the show. It's just, an, it, it's really, it's an honor to, to work with everybody here. Uh, we traveled 91,000 miles uh, in the Tlaloc Traversal. This is how long, this is how many miles we would have had to cover if we all went from one place to another. Think of the, the, the carbon impact of that. Um, uh, traveled 91,000 miles, 146,000 kilometers, and that is 720 million bananas for scale. All right, let's go ahead and jump into after hours. Can count all those miles back and forth to Ireland today. But you think of all of us. There's hundreds of us getting on flights, and then we're going to go. Let's go ask. Let's go have Tlaloc answer a question, and then we have to get on the plane again. Let's go have this person answer a question. That would take a long time. Yeah, we'd awesome. all be sick with COVID too. Yeah, so I had to. I had to buy the bananas in a twelve pack. I don't know what to do with the rest of them. You you put in Discord say you have extra extra imperial bananas, and then we'll have more and more people with bananas. Yes, we have more banana. <laughs> More bananas today. <laughs> yes. How's your back, Alex? Back is fine. Foot is still halfway out of a boot. <laughs> oh, I just meant from carrying us. That's good. <laughs> yeah. This, this was, yeah. This was this was, this was a good. It was a good show. It's good. I'm glad Richard came in. I hear that Irish. Uh, I'm working my Irish accent whenever he's here. It's great. <laughs> great lilt. All right. See you guys. All right. Cheers. <laughs>